to be Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Park. I'm the Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writing critic Virat Nehru. Hello, people. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Ah! So we are talking not we are talking some movies this week, but we are talking Netflix. It is our we had are Netflix we talking TV a movies this week. <laughs> They're not t- are they TV movies? I oh, think this, we, we, we epic can debate. debate. This. We can. We can. Is yeah. Netflix television or cinema? Well, actually, there are TV movies. It's just that TV movies not have the pejorative cachet. Uh, the term does not have the pejorative meaning that it would have even five, ten, even five years ago because yeah. Netflix are developing some of the most interesting material. I'm not saying exactly. content, material in the <laughs> film space. I appreciate Netflix that. Netflix is the new hallmark of television. Uh, the well, well, there's, there's, a, there's <laughs> a lot of we'll, terrible... We'll get into that. We will. We'll be talking about a number of films in this episode. We'll be talking Always Be My Maybe, which has been out, as we are talking later in the program, Murder Mystery. Someone braved that film and decided to catch it. And I Am Mother, a South Australian production, which uh, premiered at both the South Adelaide and Sydney Film Festival. And later on the podcast, we'll be talking Dairy Girls, season two of which was just released in Australia, as we will be talking Black Mirror, um, Star Trek and the biggest Netflix um, token, or biggest Netflix flagship show, flagship show after House of Cards, Stranger Things. Yeah, well, House of Cards, you know. Yeah, uh, did anyone yeah. watch the final season? Yeah, you did. Yeah, did, yeah, yeah. I, I got one episode in. They jumped the shark twice. It was terrible. I stopped. Yeah, look, Robin Wright is fantastic. She should have got that opportunity a long time ago, but she didn't get the backing of good writing for that season. But she still was fantastic. I. Everyone was checking out by that time, I would say. Like, uh, jumping out the windows. It got... The first two seasons were great. I liked the third season. It got stupider and stupider as it progressed. And this was season six, I think. Yeah. Season four and five was... Season seven. Oh, season four, five, and six were just lousy. Season seven? Okay, no, no. I've I've seen till season six, and maybe I haven't even seen the last season myself. The last season, there's no Kevin Spacey. Okay, okay, I've seen that season. Okay, so so I'm wrong. (laughs) Season six, season six. But I think it jumps the shark from season four when they introduce Putin. I think even he was back all in season three. Okay, he was one. He was one of the best characters in the show. It's just the storyline. The yeah, you don't meet like that in the middle of Jordan. Also, that wouldn't happen. What happens? What transpires in Moscow will not happen. In that territory, okay. in that space. Uh, but before we get too much into a House yes. of Cards discussion... <laughs> we should talk about Netflix more generally. And yes, are we watching television? Are we yeah. watching film? Is there no distinction now? Have all the lines blurred? Well, Chris has strong opinions about this because he sent us a very opinionated message about TV movies. Well, I think uh, to really illustrate this, we'll need to start talking about the films we have on the agenda mm-hmm. uh, because I think they will make the case for me. Okay. <laughs> But we'll see. We will. Uh, we, 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 we've been seeing quite a bit on Netflix lately. And one I know I'm watching, uh, got part of the way through watching was the Martin Scorsese. We know it's Martin Scorsese because he's in the title. It's Bob Dylan's story Rolling by Thunder Martin Scorsese. Review. Yeah, he Which, seems to have a, a good uh, connection with Netflix coming up with The Irishman showing later in the year. That footage looks, I'm really keen for it. Yeah, to me, The Irishman looks, uh, if you don't know, it, it's... Scorsese doing a reunion with DiCaprio. 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 <laughs> no, um, he, Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah, there's another Al Pacino DiCaprio Robert film Niro, about yes, next week. Uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And uh, he's using de-aging tech. Yeah, and sh- yeah, that's right. Um, directing Al Pacino for the first time. But a, a reunion with Pesci, um, as in Goodfellas and Casino. And this time he's using de-aging technology, which was the big hype feature but it seems to be me it's just a massive craze in hollywood at the moment and it's being put into projects 
that don't necessarily need it. Um, because I just based on this trailer, I mean, we can talk about this when the movie comes out. But based on the trailer, I showed look. I showed it to my girlfriend without, and she didn't know about the CG thing because I wanted to gauge her reaction. And as soon as the trailer ended, she said, "Why does De Niro look weird?" <laughs> the, the problem with De Niro, de-aging De Niro is it's a classic issue why they couldn't film or you have a younger version of Sean Connery in The Last Crusade because everyone knows what Sean Connery looked like in the 60s. Everyone knows what Robert De Niro looked like in the 70s. You may as well yeah. just cast that actor it's, it it it's the Uncanny Valley territory. That's it's right. always going to look different. It looks different. kind of uncanny in this trailer. Um, but I mean, recently it's been pulled off well with... Uh, Blade Cap- Runner. Cap- uh, but also Captain Marvel, right? Scott, uh, and Samuel L. Jackson looks really good. And um, the Ant-Man movie with Michael Douglas. Yeah. Um, but Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. But, yeah, it's not looking convincing to me here, and I'm just wondering why not just hire different actors. But, but anyway. But I guess part of, the, part of the problem is the bigger problem with Hollywood right now that is so obsessed with this golden age era that they're exactly. trying to recreate It's nostalgia, screen, right? You know? Because... And I feel another film we're going to talk about. Well, is speaking of nostalgia, yeah. next, next speaking week. of, but even for now, speaking of nostalgia, the other, yeah, Scorsese project. Look, me, we can't really commit to a review of Rolling Thunder review uh, because, it's very yeah, it, it, which, which is, it's, yeah, it's a nostalgia project. Um, me and Glenn both only got about an hour through it separately. We just discovered separately. This now. We didn't just stop. Like, yeah. oh, forget it. Yeah, I was looking forward to this. I enjoy Dylan's work. I'm a casual Dylan fan. I think this is really for the hardcore Dylan fans. I look, is it though, or like a hardcore Scorsese fan? It's Dylan. Look, Dylan, I, f- yeah. I found it. Um, I, I actually, I, I didn't think it was bad. Um, I found a lot of the historical notes interesting, and it, you, the concept of this film is that it blends fact and fiction to sort of go with um, Bob Dylan's messing with the audience kind of trickster magician persona um, is, that he brought to the Rolling Thunder review at the time. Um, and so that there's kind of a, a game of like, guess what's real and what's fake going on here. Um, the it is amusing. I found some of the historical detail interesting. I found some of the performance um, material interesting. Patty Smith early on does a, a pretty mesmerizing, crazy poetry bit. Um, the, it, Basically it, being herself, which is yeah, that's right. Cool. If yeah. you yeah, if if you're into the the time and the musicians, um, the concert footage is amazing. I just my main issue with this film though is that it had this kind of jarring stop-start rhythm. Like it didn't feel like it, um, if you're not someone who's already invested in in the material that it guides you, you know, in an entertaining, propulsive way. It just kind of seemed to be. It's two hours and twenty minutes, and it just seemed to be a whole bunch of stuff thrown in. Um, I just felt lost in the material and I kind of lost interest. I might finish it and cha- and I reserve the right to reevaluate my position. How did you go, Glenn? I think if you've ever been to a Dylan concert, seen footage of Dylan concert, and you liked that, you'll enjoy this movie. I didn't. I went to a Dylan concert. I didn't like it. Um, Dylan is deliberately inscrutable. He doesn't say anything to the audience. He sits there and reels off quite randomly different songs from all those. He doesn't play the greatest hits. He just plays whatever his band and he have decided to put together tonight, which is fine if that's that's your choice. similar to the way the film has been edited. Which is my problem. (laughs) Um, If you're not so accustomed to Dylan, his style, his music, his history, and especially with the did this happen, did it not, you'll find it particularly, again, inscrutable is the proper term. If I was watching a film like this about Elton John, who I've said previous shows I absolutely adore I would be able to get into right. this and um, but having said that if you unless you really are as or nearly as across Dylan as the filmmakers and those involved are I don't think you will get so much out of this film I will say though that it isn't purely around Dylan himself a lot of it is about the time period and sort of it, it goes off on tangents about 
related people and related cultural movements, some of which are fictitious. And again, I did find it interesting. It just, he's not doing much to sell you on this. And I'm just waiting for changing of the guards and I don't think it came. Yeah. Yeah, but but maybe that's just part of Dylan's appeal in Scorsese's trying think to do a much I more sort of honest... Yes, I think Scorsese... But, but I think it's not appealing if you don't, definitely like, the, you don't like that style. You right. don't are endeared by that style for yeah. two hours and 40 minutes. He, he is definitely um, trying, trying to... Do a much to more honest uh, capturing be, of yes, his image. He's like, this is what Dylan is. That's right. He's trying don't to like him, sucks to be you. That is, that is what he's doing. He's definitely trying to make something that's true to the spirit of Dylan. And from what I can see, outside of the people who are annoyed at playing with history um the (laughs) the response from people who are diehard dylan fans seems to be very positive so if you're interested in the material seek it out otherwise i'm not sure otherwise maybe catch one of the ones we're about to discuss yeah like a rolling stone like always be my maybe which always be my maybe call me maybe actually that would be if there was a song a great song to accompany this it would have made the film a lot better i feel yeah call me maybe i think oh always be my maybe is over the end credits Oh, you mean were you, was like this a, a classic slam? original song? For oh, right, right, right. The movie. No, you, you need like, they're, they're like, 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 like you say it best, the Notting Hill, that sort of right, thing. Right, right, right. Mariah Carey. Oh my God. They do Mariah have Mariah Carey in the credits. Oh, Always yeah. me, my baby. Oh, before yeah, that, yeah. before that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, yeah Mariah Carey, great. That's the film's selling point. Yeah. Mariah Carey. Subconsciously yeah. blocked she, it out of my mind. She has a big cameo appearance in the middle that I was much, much discussed. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. she doesn't. I'm playing with history, like not Scorsese <laughs> and Bob Dylan. Because <laughs> we don't uh, have the right, was it the filmmakers. Do we have the right to do that? I don't know. So, so um, always be my maybe. Yeah, we, there's, we're there's, just content creators. Look, before I came t- over to here, I heard on the radio um, people discussing like, uh, had, oh, there's been so much um, interesting Asian American, uh, you know, art, like great stuff happening, like in film. Always be my maybe. And I thought, really? Okay. This movie is starring Ali Wong as such a trend, Randall Park as Marcus Kim. It is, uh, they were best mates for years throughout primary school and high school. Um, after, immediately after high school, they go their separate ways. Um, she uh, becomes a very successful businesswoman and restaurateur, and he comes to work in his father's air conditioning business. After many years of being apart, as over a decade, she, she goes back to her hometown, classic story, and, oh, my high school boyfriend, what's going to happen here? Netflix, he was t- To be fair, sorry, uh, he wasn't really her high school boyfriend. Oh, sorry, he was, he was okay. her he best was, friend. Sorry, yes. They sleep together, once. and then suddenly it's, that's, that's it. Okay, yes, fa- fa- yeah. fair. <laughs> so... Netflix every week basically release a very standard formulaic movie you can just sit and enjoy and watch. This, if you can tell where this is going from the description I've given you, you you know where this film is going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I, the only things for me that really set it apart were, and if Chris has alluded to um, the significance of Asian American cinema, I'd go further than that in saying that discussing as Crazy Rich Asians did the dynamic, dynamics and differences between cultural um, specificities between, with Asian Americans and those Asians who live in Asia. Um, it was very interesting. Also, speaking of another Asian American, which who propelled this film to other heights, the twenty yes. minutes he was in it, yes. God bless him. It was perfect timing. Keanu Reeves, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was yeah. playing off all these different oh. public perspectives. I, I thought you were going to say Henry gold. Golding, but okay, Keanu Reeves. Uh, Henry <laughs> Golding was not. A, the, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, um. al- always be my maybe. Um, the reason why I, I was you said that you know like really thing is, um, it's received so much public attention. Um, and people celebrating it as this great thing. When, as Glenn was saying, it is basically just switch off your brain formulaic rom-com. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a great or groundbreaking work at all. The only thing that's interesting about it is that it's 
you know, Asian American characters being put in the forefront at a mainstream romantic comedy that broke into the mainstream. Similar reasons why Crazy Rich Asians, which is also a, a very, very formulaic, very formulaic film. Yeah, and part of the issue I have, maybe this is a broader discussion that needs to be had, is are we supposed to celebrate movies purely on the virtue of the fact that they are somehow breaking new ground? Rather than discussing the content, the actual of content of the film, of the films, yeah. I like think is um, that is that a critical discussion that don't, should yeah. be sidelined because they're just breaking new ground? Right. Don't get me wrong. I, d- I think it's definitely a positive step, and it's going to inspire people to be represented on screen when that hasn't happened in the mainstream before. Yeah. But we also need to demand higher quality writing and filmmaking. I mean, I take the view. I, I when I raised this issue, I basically said it wasn't simply that you, there is better representation in the film. I'm glad there's a representation. What I liked about it from that perspective was the fact that it allowed for an array of jokes and gags specific to that community, agree, which yeah. wouldn't otherwise be in a mainstream film, especially um, early on. There's a great gag where they meet up, and he says, "Oh, you're doing so well now in your restaurant business. How much do you earn?" And then she laughs, and Marcus goes, "No, no, he's actually asking yeah, you." Yeah. And you see this very yeah. uh, sparingly in a lot of mainstream content fair and. Material. Um, I mentioned last week I'm rewatching Gilmore Girls. Um, the character of Lane, who's absolutely great. Um, her and her mother have a lot of gags talking about uh, addressing this, these specific issues and this particular community in America. But growing up, I never really saw this on television in the film, and it is nice to see it addressed yeah. and covered in a mainstream. Movie. I, I thought this movie um, started off actually really nicely. I think that the material yeah. showing them as kids, and then um, and their bond, and then their falling out. And leading into um, establishing who they are as parents, uh, sorry, as, as parents, as adults, was fairly nice, charming. Um, it did have that element of cultural specificity that Glenn was alluding to. Um, and it, yeah, it had a warmth to it that even though it's a kind of scrappy, rough around the edges production, I thought, okay, this is, you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this. But as it went on, um, the short uh, falls of the writing became more and more apparent. Yeah. It's got a lot of the. Um, problems that i find in um a lot of contemporary american comedy writing the resolution and the forced oh well yes but just in terms of the way that jokes are are written i said this about booksmart as well recently um but this is a a much worse offender than booksmart um just everything's really over the top all the time like people just can't Mm -hmm. stop quipping um the the script and and the characters or at least the side characters that they're supporting characters are themselves written in a way yeah, their the caricatures the supporting characters are just so good except down over the, the top. father who's probably the funniest thing yeah, in the yeah, film the James father, Sato the f- he was fantastic he was my, he was I, my favorite performance in the film yep. but that's because probably because of the cultural specificities right because everyone else who's written is but written I'll give it to the actor the, the actor was really he good brought and depth he, to it and he brought some emotion to it when he the, the relationship with his son which was only sparingly established at the very beginning of the film felt real and I sustained agree, yeah. a lot of the drama throughout and, the movie and they managed to um, have the, the mix of of his character being accepting of the son, but also having the extra depth of like wishing for more yeah. without overplaying any, either aspect of it. it he was he was a fully fleshed out believable more person. Given he was working in his the son was working in his business. That's right. Yeah. Um, Great. But yeah, the the characters um, basically seem as quip machines, and the script seemed kind of amateurish to me in the way that um, there would be all these callbacks to uh, jokes that. We're basically like one and done, um, and then we'd have to revisit that joke a couple of scenes later so we can have more awkward dialogue unpacking, which is just unnecessary, like over-laboring everything. And, you know, a lot of the jokes are about the same thing. Like, we've established, ha-ha, you know, he wears his suit to prom, he's got no money, 
So then we've got to have a, also a scene where he goes to Tom Ford and somehow he's oh. shocked that oh yeah the that Tom Ford suits the are expensive situational yeah. circumstance where, then, which would never transpire yeah. and then another you know scene where they talk about how poor he is oh, and Rufus the what's his name Rufus uh, it's yeah, just he over was, he was good as Tom Ford as the Tom Ford yeah figure. it was yeah, it's Rufus, just over laboured um, and overridden Wainwright maybe he's been in a few other things but yeah but what what's strange about this movie is I was talking before about the massive cultural reach it has, but in terms of the production values and the quality of writing, it's a TV movie in it the is, classic yeah. sense, not in the, you know, it, what is, is, uh, is Martin Scorsese's uh, The Irishman a TV movie sense. And we come back to your argument about how yeah. Netflix and TV movies. Are. Yeah, it feels cheap. Um, it feels, you know, it looks cheap, like the cinematography. It's from a quite well-established cinematographer, mm-hmm. but he clearly didn't have yeah. much access to time or resources. Um, it's It's... You know, low production values, yeah. cutting corners everywhere. It's amazing they were able to hook Keanu Reeves into it. I bet yeah. that he, he was drawn by the appeal of playing against the uh, nice Keanu yeah. Reeves imagery. Okay. I wonder well, if he's just getting annoyed of that and wants to just lean into, oh, yeah, I, great, I, I get to play a slug douche. And I think for, for those moments, there's this genuine freshness because he yes. brings such... Uh, I don't know whether the character's written like that, but he clearly brings... The character plays upon funny. his imagery, which... I think is the best part about the movie. We need to talk about the best thing about this film. He's in it for 20 minutes. It feels more than a cameo. It's an extended cameo. He is he comes in good reveal. as oh, yeah. As, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I, and I sadly I knew We're about it because it, it was guys. it was in all the material. It was basically the trailer, the Keanu Reeves scene. Um, it's taken over the GIF. That, that's, that's a, that's a I he was in the movie, but I didn't know movie. where. Yeah. So I was I was surprised. It's a hilarious goddamn reveal because they're like. They, they talk about this guy. You're going to meet this guy. You're going to meet this guy, and then the slow motion. Keanu Reeves. The slow motion and because walk. this movie is such a low-budget TV movie type affair, you're even more surprised for it to be Keanu. So Keanu Reeves, he walks in, and more than just satirizing the good guy, nice guy persona. This was obviously filmed before the big Keanu sons to happen, so it landed at the absolute perfect songs. time. But the other side of Keanu Reeves' top exponents, only one that preceded this, was him as the tough guy, whether it be Neo or Constantine, what else? And he bl- and he moves from the parodying the one aspect Johnny of Persona, Johnny Utah, yeah, per- exactly, my favorite of his movies, and to the tough guy version of Keanu Reeves and satirizing that. And it's just such an excellent transition. It takes apart, it, he takes apart every aspect of who he's seen in the public eye. It's strange about Keanu Reeves, someone who's discussed so much, he's still relatively, I don't use the word inscrutable again, but it's the right term, inscrutable. And it still is the case, having seen him in this, you don't know whether he's just playing a part or, well, yeah, I think he is taking the piss out of himself, but he's treating it still as a serious part. Yeah, he's playing, he he yeah. is really funny. Quite sincerely. As a raging yeah. asshole. Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's just the, the idea of, it's weird because the way that, going back to this TV movie thing, this whole film just doesn't feel like they were taking it that seriously. The fact that they just derail this rom-com for a (laughs) 20-minute weird escapade into Keanu (laughs) Reeves' jokes. (laughs) But yeah, as it comes to a conclusion, um, you know, it's so by the book. Like, one of the issues I found with this movie is that I found Randall... What's his name? Randall Randall Park? Randall Park. Randall Park Park. Park is quite... uh, His character is likable and charming. (laughs) Ali Wong's character is not likable... Um, and then towards the end, suddenly, in order to create tension, he just he just swings from being likable, chill dude to just sudden dickhead. Yeah. In order to you know move the gears of the plot along, and the climax is the same as every rom. It's just yeah, yeah, it's just by the book. Sport. But even that characterization is quite stereotypical, right? That a strong uh, working woman 
has to come across as like yes, a bitch, right? And that's, that's right. That's always been a trope in rom coms. Yeah, she comes strong, it, independent you're, woman. You're completely right. Taking on the world in the alpha male universe, like has to come things across like, like Sweet a Home bitch. Alabama. Yeah, you know, you know, it's oh, like you know, I'm the oh, I'm I'm oh. this bu- successful you know? in businessman. So you I know, know, I never saw that. I'm, I'm su- yeah, I'm successful in business. So like I I got to be the stuck up bitch, and I get to run product kind of. Yeah, I get to meet a chill dude. In yeah. this movie, it's, he's literally uh, and, a stoner guy from the band. He gets to change who me. Gets to he, change me. Yeah, he's my manic like, pixie dream girl. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, so yeah. that is always be my maybe. It is on screen on Netflix now. I do have to give a shout out to one of the best line readings I've seen in cinema this year, where in response to some machismo from Keanu, um, Marcus goes, "I'm not going to fight you, Keanu." <laughs> 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 the, the act, the actors actually bring a lot to this film. Yeah, that, yeah. that twenty-minute sequence—it's just worth. Even if you don't watch this film, Skip watch it. It's, it's fine. Watch the first as fifteen minutes, then the Keanu part. <laughs> it, it, it's it's fine as a standalone sequence, as a short film. Imagine if the movie every, every line in that sequence is good. Every line. Okay, just before we wrap up, imagine if this movie was a forty-minute film where it's like about them as childhood friends, and then you know, the, the, sexual tension. We slept with each other, and then it all ended. Twenty years later, I meet up, and uh, oh, you've got a new guy, and it turns out to be Keanu, and then it's just Keanu <laughs> jokes, and then it, it ends when. It, when they they come to blows. That would yep. be a neat shot film. I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be fine. <laughs> I, I, I would have seen that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we will be back in a moment talking murder mystery. Always be my piano. And uh, I am mother. Stay tuned. A new season of All Things Equal. Um, I was, there was like slept at my um local like uh, golf club, and um, I remember the sprinklers came on that night. That wasn't fun, and yeah, it was really cold. Listen to the new season of All Things Equal on Sundays at 11.30am and Mondays at 6.30pm on 2SER 107.3. Or subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. Legendary Sydney underground band Tactics bring their mishmash of psychedelic punk and garage to the Marrickville Bolo for one night only, Friday, August 9. Playing tracks off their albums My Houdini, Bleed, and their latest release, Early Shifter, Charles de Gaulle. Tactics at Marrickville Bolo, Friday, August 9. Tickets through Oztix or at the door. Tactics sponsors to SER. Explore the increasing convergence of art and science at UTS Art's new exhibition, Spectra, the Art and Consequence of Collaboration. Eight Australian artists have collaborated with scientists and scientific institutions from around the world, including Mawson Station in Antarctica and Switzerland's CERN, famous for its Large Hadron Collider. Head to art.uts.edu.au for more info. UTS Art, where creativity and technology meet, sponsors 2SER. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. So we are talking... Um, I am, we're talking I Am Mother at a moment, but first we are talking... All things, oh, the new Adam Sandler movie because he had a deal with murder Netflix mystery, for a long yeah. time. Yes, we are going to be talking murder mystery. None of the the rest of us were brave enough. So, Virat, how did you find Bra- it? Bravery is the right word. Yeah, <laughs> actually, this was fun. Yeah, this was fun. Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> it's so it's like the biggest comedy of the summer of 1998, right? <laughs> Jennifer Aniston and, and Adam Sandler. I, 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 actually, it's true. Yeah. Like you know, I could never imagine them as you know a pair, a romantic pairing, or, or any Man, kind of pair. The fact they, were another, they were in another movie with um, oh, 10, 12 years ago. The shot of them on the beach. Oh. Uh, the, are he, you thinking of like? He was I was thinking, thinking of 50 first, first dates. dates. No, that, that's with Drew Barrymore. 
Yeah. And that was a much better film than oh, most of the other stuff he did. Yes. And not as good as The Wedding Singer, though, where they're on the beach and he was married to someone and then he wasn't married to them and he falls for okay. Jennifer Aniston. Okay, point is... It sounds like it, it's the long Heartbreak Kid, yeah. which is not Adam Sandler. <laughs> long, long time ago. Uh, but, okay. Look it up. M- murder Mystery. Murder Even mystery. just that title... It's so just like yeah, whatever. Like, just, it's just call okay. him Poochie. Like, like, yes. But like, it's it's just like yeah, let's get okay. paid. It's yeah, it's a murder mystery. Let's just yeah. call it murder mystery. Do you remember <laughs> that? You do you remember that terrible? Just go with it. Terrible. Oh, oh my okay. god. Oh yes. And Jennifer Aniston became really hot because of Brooklyn Decker, uh, oh, and they were competing for um, Adam Sandler's affection. Well, well, really Jennifer weird. Aniston's always been gorgeous. No, no, no. no um, but like, they were and yes, it does have Brooklyn Decker. Yeah. Who they and they Nicole Kidman's in this? They had deliberately made her unhot. Or we were supposed to buy the fact that she was not hot in the first half of the movie, and then she suddenly reveals herself to be hot. So okay. it's a it's a glasses ponytail, yeah, not another teen yeah, movie yeah, thing. Yeah, great, yeah, great, yeah, yeah. wonderful okay. scene movie in twenty eleven. Sh- oh, so so yeah. murder mystery is so, so good. Brooklyn. We're avoiding talking about it. <laughs> and oh, sorry, was he married to Brooklyn Decker in this? Uh, oh, God. No, no, she Look, was, she was uh, his girlfriend. Oh, God. Okay, murder I don't mystery. want to talk about this movie anymore. Just, murder, mystery, murder mystery, please. please. Okay, okay. <laughs> quickly, murder mystery. So, uh, do you remember this Johnny Depp movie called Mordecai? It really yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh. So, it, it's basically playing on that pastiche. So, we have this couple who are in a midlife crisis. They don't get along. And they suddenly get embroiled in a, you know, a murder mystery. And as they are solving... Uh, this puzzle all through uh, their knack for reading detective novels so they're basically you know diehard fans of detective novels and they come across clues and they think this real murder can be solved through their knowledge of detective novel history and they try to solve and work on their marriage issues while they are at it it's pretty formulaic there's nothing fun the gags are forced but it's not as bad as Pixels or The Ridiculous Six. So I think there is a graph of improvement in Netflix's and Adam Sandler's collaboration. It, so it's better, so you just heard it here, it's better than the film where Vanilla Ice plays Mark Twain. Yes. That's, that's so what we're going with here. I, I guess we are getting to an improvement. But honestly, I will, I will say this, this was also a really good trash fest kind of watch. If you are looking for a guilty pleasure, kind of, you know, cake in, cake in midnight kind of a movie, and you don't want to feel, you know, admitted in public, this is the kind of movie you're going to watch, and you don't have to tell other people that you've seen it, because you will enjoy it, because it's like, it demands nothing from you. And sometimes that can be fun. So the film that demands nothing from you, except perhaps your soul, is screening on Netflix now. And the next film we are talking about is also screening on Netflix. It's had its Australian premiere at the Adelaide Film Festival, which I believe financed along with your South Australian Film Corp. It had one screening at the Sydney Film Festival and then launched on Netflix the following day. It is starring Hilary Swank and Rose Byrne. It is set in a dystopic future where humans, uh, we understand, are all gone except um, this one young human who is raised by an AI voiced by Rose Byrne, who is referred to throughout the film as mother and they live in this sheen type very beautiful laboratory where she is taught her daily educational lessons and has a routine and then one day obviously a conflict has to arise so a visitor hillary swank rocks up outside and says i need to be let in and for the first time the daughter has seen another human and things escalate from there it's another film uh, made in australia like upgrade you know, we if we just pr- uh, it's getting cheap enough to make a sci-fi film that you can pretend that it's American. That's the yeah. point of this film, just, and it it worked. They, it, it sold internationally, launched on Netflix. Mm. I 
the premise reminds me of Darren Aronofsky's Mother, not Mother, but you know where it's c- where nothing it, like yeah, but like you know the idea that someone's lives are disrupted when other people forcefully enter and then enter what enter their their space, enter their space. Yeah, I still yeah. pr- I prefer, prefer this to Mother. Well, that's an example of the world's worst taste, but we'll we'll ignore that and move on. Whoa, wow, wow. We're reigniting the biggest fight in film yeah. club. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking more about I Am Mother along with Derry Girls, Star Trek, Black Mirror, and there was one more we were covering, Stranger Things. TV. Yeah, yeah like TV. What is TV? But what is cinema? On the podcast. But yeah, like Murder Mystery seems like classic TV movie, right? Yeah. yeah, a lot of Netflix content is and classic. It's replaced TV. I am mother for reasons we'll get into on the podcast. I feel also just feels like a TV yeah. movie. Chris's uh, it, it, yeah. it feels Thesis. like an extended episode of Star Trek. What's different is that TV movies classically are just like thrillers or um, hallmark romance things. The rom com and sci fi are movie genres that have fallen by the wayside in our current market that Netflix is reviving. So they they feel like TV movies in terms of production value, but Otherwise, you know, the, the Netflix are reviving these modern no, genres. Go back what I'm do what I'm doing and watch old Star Trek. Much better. Um, so stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin and tune in next week because we will be discussing the biggest film of the season, which is Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I saw this earlier today. I'm very keen to get into discussing it with the other, with everyone else. It will. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to reserve all thoughts until next week. Uh, it is one of the best. I'm keen to see it. It has a ridiculous cast. It has an absurd ridiculous cast. Ridiculous six. <laughs> uh, m- much more than six talented actors. Um, and it will be in cinemas on August 16th. And we'll be coming in other weeks with uh, much more festival coverage too. Do you want to see Adam Sandler in a Tarantino film? Um, well, so only the Star Trek ones left. So I don't know if I want to see him in... Uh, the Star Trek universe. This has been Glenn Falconside, Chris Evans, Veronica Rue. Um, continue listening on the podcast. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. On Netflix. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, to do. Yeah. So I am mother. To do. I am mother. Just on the. Uh, I comment about Star Trek. Star Trek. I, Adam, I just want to get back to this Adam Sandler in the Star Trek universe. You know what? You know what? He he's a good actor. I just it's it's fine. Look, if Tarantino wants to cast him, I trust him. Put him in there, but I don't see Adam Sandler being. Look, I might be proven wrong in three years' time, but I don't see Adam Sandler being. This on was the purely the a hypothetical. I just thought casting Adam Sandler seems like the kind of thing Tarantino would do. Well, yeah, I mean, Dustin Hoffman and Adam Sandler appeared together, so that's I right. Think, I think in, in, a, in a quite it, good film, in a very good film. Stories, yeah, one of the one, better movies on Netflix. Once in a decade, dramatic role that he chooses to do. Well, he's in another Netflix movie coming out at the end of the year from the Safdie brothers, who made Good Time, uh, called Uncut Gems. Which looks really good. Which looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I mean, maybe I he's doing more more dramatic stuff. Like now. I like I said, you know, the graph of Netflix collaboration mm. is going up. So I guess you know he just primed you with terrible stuff first to yeah. then. You know, just now reserving the best for later. I'll just say, yeah, the Mayo with Stories is one of the best um, Netflix movies. So while we're doing this episode, yeah. shout out yeah. to that. Yeah, go watch it. There's yeah. a yeah, there's a new Noah Bombach film coming to Netflix at the end of the year called Marriage Story. So for mm. my ragging on Netflix, they're making some good stuff. Yeah, and it's everyone's gonna watch it. The world's gonna watch The Irishman. Yeah, that's right. They're they're giving Noah Bombach, Martin Scorsese, the Safdie brothers money to do whatever they want. Um, and I'm sure those films won't feel like elevated TV movies. So, elevated yeah. only by uh, the platform and Netflix's ability to get you know spread itself in popular no, no, culture, not, I, not by the content. No, no. But I guess you're right because Netflix has to do that because of the licensing deal and how 
expensive they have been to try to keep up with all the lot of content. So they want to produce original content that they don't yeah, have to pay. Let's, let's, let's not forget, for. Netflix have borrowed massive amounts of money to generate the material. They haven't been running at a profit for a very long time. They're building this model on the prospectus that in years to come, when they, they are the gateway, that they will come bigger and bigger, which but, is strange to me now because, or not necessarily strange, but um, to note, Fox Netflix will now is now available through Foxtel as an additional mm. option. So Look, it may be great for the business model. It may not. Netflix, I think, uh, gear. It's going to be tough for them because, yeah, with all with their lack of their operating on massive losses year after year and uh, trying to establish themselves as a, a blockbuster place. Where, you know where you see things like The Irishman. Um, it's really to put themselves in a position of strength enough that they. I think, yeah, as you say, they have to become the gateway. We, they don't want a future where there's six or seven different competing streaming services. They can't deal with a stand in every country. But and what's, if you look at what's happening in America, next year, um, or at the end of this year, Warner Brothers is launching HBO Max, which has HBO content as well as um, a lot of Warner Brothers stuff. Disney uh, considered the main threat because of their massive power in the, in the film space right now. They're launching Disney+, Plus, which is, uh, has original shows like the, the Star Wars, The Mandalorian, yeah. as well as all of Disney's back catalog. And now Fox is probably a large reason why they purchased 20th Century Fox. They want to kill Netflix. Uh, yeah. We'll yeah, but, see but how then, it goes. But then basically but, every studio is going to have its own streaming service. Which, which at the end just results in really expensive and Yeah, how many, how many like subscriptions but can the, you the afford? The battle, the battle yeah. isn't in Australia. I, I, just, I can't remember where I read this. There was a great article about this. And it was actually in regards to India, where there was discussion was all these streaming platforms want to launch or have launched there, but they're aware that in mass economies like that, that most households, if they do get a streaming service, and like many households in Australia, including my own, will only opt for one for financial mm. purposes or otherwise. And the battle is going to be who gets in on the ground and who has the biggest all support because they yeah. could knock anyone else out of the competition yeah. in those markets which it, are it, so significant yeah mm. india amazon is uh, definitely way ahead of the game so netflix is catching up in india that's why it's producing a lot more original content uh with the indian production houses especially with like you know tying up with their major film studios which is uh interesting strategy because you know indian bollywood industry is pretty big so they're trying to co-opt the bollywood brand to bring it to netflix which is interesting I th- yeah, I just find the idea of there being six or seven different subscription services so depressing. Well, right now, yeah. you can get what? Stan, Foxtel, Netflix, Amazon, um, Prime. Amazon Prime, Mubi, which is a smaller one. Um, yeah, um, is I, Mubi I, in Australia? Can you? Can you get yeah, there's Mubi in Australia. It's I not Netflix, as, it's and pretty I good, but not as good as the American. Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, sorry. I was just doing the mental math. I was like, which library do I have? Right. Yeah. Sorry. You don't get your get it in your geographical restrictions, guys. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I we, we actually that's another major issue. We do need a lot of their licensed material that is in American Netflix in Australia. We're going to talk about Dairy Girls in a few minutes, but I actually watched the first half of the season two of Dairy Girls when I was in Ireland some months ago, and the second half, which I've been waiting months and months for, only just came to Netflix in Australia. So things like that need to shift. Well, Pain and Glory is already on Netflix. In Spain. Spain. No. Oh. See, that yeah. dumb idea. It, it do so well here. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. All right. And it's right, playing so a myth I am uh, in about a week. Yeah. Yep. Now, I am mother. I am mother. So, uh, the reason I raised Star Trek earlier was because this feels like an extended episode of Star Trek. That isn't a pejorative term. That isn't a criticism. The, the, the simple thing with Star Trek is that it is episodic. You get a, a little split story here and there, and you can consume it quite easily. A film, I think, is it is expected 
whether it be a TV movie, quote-unquote, or otherwise, to offer just that little bit more. This is a very, very standard plot. You've seen it yeah. throughout all of sci-fi. The distinction being that usually the uh, perspective is from the Hilary Swank character. Here it's from the daughter character, which is a different dynamic. I did appreciate that. But there is nothing revelatory about the basis of this plot or how the film plays out in near any respect. This reminded me of another movie with Oscar Isaacs, uh Ex Machina, D- yes, so much that, better. That, okay, Ex Machina is yeah. even as appreciated as it is, is underrated. The, you can't even begin to compare. The these thing two. about um, I Am Mother, as you say, it is so by the book. And when you're working with a familiar story, you need to get the details right. But so much about this meant that I just couldn't buy into it as something that transcended being a uh, a rehashing of a story we're all very familiar with. Um, for example. The, the idea is that this, um, this main character is sort of questioning her, um, her robot overlord um, and Hilary Swank then comes in as you know, the, the temptation to go outside. But even just the characterization, I thought this, this girl is way too untrusting of the mother, r- the robot, voiced by Rose Byrne, because... Look, look at uh, how authoritarian governments work, right? If this is all you know, like all you've ever been fed is propaganda from somebody who controls everything for you, I don't think you'd be questioning it. I think the fear, like I think I could buy that a person would, but it's like this character just acts like a standard protagonist that, you know, senses something's wrong. But I, I, I feel like the characterization needed more depth to it to make make me believe that this person would actually be rebellious just because she's watched Steve Martin on The Tonight Show. All right, I disagree with that. And I yeah. think the reason is there's such an emphasis placed on her education. And for the age she is, it's kind of like the characters in Captain Fantastic where they have such, an, in this case, an even greater emphasis on the idea of philosophy and reflexivity. And it, this film can. Did you just bring up Captain Fantastic as a comparison point? Because that film was terrible. I, I quite liked it. Um, that's that, that. That was. Oh yeah, let's we're, celebrate. We're, we're not getting sidetracked ce- again. Let's celebrate Noam Chomsky Day. Uh, yeah, that okay. That part was terrible. I'll <laughs> grant you. Uh, okay, you just brought up the one wor- the worst aspect of the film. Fair, fair. but I, I I'm happy to defend that movie. But we'll, we'll, we'll give Captain Fantastic another another birth another time. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, with this movie, it is it, it commits that terrible sin which they do with a lot of classroom settings where the teacher or the student is explaining a moral of the story at any one time. And it does it multiple times. It's very annoying. However, it underlines the fact that she is um, both incredibly smart and incredibly aware of her surroundings. She's been very well educated to the point that she's able to develop this awareness. And as much as the philosophical tidbits that were very blatant in these classroom scenes were blatant, it. it still underlined the point that she was capable of this reasoning okay um it did i agree but i i just can't see you know the point well i can't see you know a scenario where this all-controlling robot yeah there yeah well yeah i can't see a scenario where there's this all-controlling robot character that would you know allow um this person who's seeking absolute control essentially yeah, would allow this like, person like, when would this scenario ever play out yeah and, and i can't i can't see them allowing this person to become so aware that they would and question when the entire point is absolute control except i just didn't buy into the concept i guess except and we can't talk about this aspect of the film without really going to spoil the territory we're not going to spoil the territory but they do 
give a reason for the extent to her. They do give a reason the back and background for the robot's logic behind giving her such an education. Yes, they do later in the film. Um, speaking of the robot, she was just so obviously evil. Like the the, uh, the the right from the beginning, just the way she acts, it's it's so overplayed for the movie to work on this level of it's who, who do I trust? It's three telegraph. Yeah, for yeah, for the movie to work on this level of like who do I trust? Like the you know, as you you spoke about those classroom scenes, we've got you know the we've got five five patients. We need to kill one person. Yeah. To, you know, it's oh, like the oh, classic good philosophy one on one. Yeah, the trolley problem. The good place. Yeah, the trolley problem. Yeah, the good place. It's it's just so obvious, and the way the way she acts, there was no there was no kind of subtlety of um, me believing that this person could ever be trustworthy. It, and given that the film has to exist in that place where you're unsure for it to be really effective, it just l- adds to the feeling of everything being straight down the line. I think, I believe it had more nuance than that. And again, I there can't go some, into There are some twists territory. along the way, but it's just right from the beginning of the film. It's like, okay, this robot's evil. Spoilers, the robot's evil. Except... They do underline the extent to which she clearly does care for daughter. Yes. In fairness. Yes. And I don't believe that was such a case because it led to the one really... There's one outstanding scene in this film in otherwise a very humdrum one. And it's one where there is a confrontation between the three main characters where um, it is intended to upend not only one of the characters' expectations of what is going on around them, but what we are led to understand about the situation and those surrounding them, and it involves um, essentially a test of wills between two of those characters, or all three of the characters are present. It's a very suspenseful scene, it's a very good scene, and having said that, after that point, the moral question of who is in the right, or who is in the wrong, who should we trust to believe, just falls out the window. Yeah. Um, it, it just feels like every time a movie tries to engage with actual philosophical problems in you know that kind of philosophy 101 kind of way, uh, it just feels like it's made by a philosophy major <laughs> and in not in a good way. So I, I don't know if there's a better way to somehow streamline philosophical questions into film narratives rather than making them so obviously didactic. But I feel like, I don't know, that th- there is some room for improvement in that sense uh, because I feel like this is a recurring problem in a lot of movies. When they're trying to be philosophically deep, they just become didactic, theoretical messes in that way and that just kind of the, the end was the, the end was certainly like that we're going to posit this great philosophical question to you um what do you, what do you think take you, you audience take it from here um <laughs> the, the other side of this that and, and i'm re- i want to talk about the production design and, and i'm really speculating here this is a screen australia production this script i believe would have been written by someone probably believing that if it was to be made it would have been made on a very significantly lower budget than the budget it got and certainly lack of a special effects budget than what it got in the end it is the type of scenario that you could do on a low budget but when it got to oh wait a minute we actually have the birth to do this sort of material the it production design is so generic yeah it just looks like it looks like bland contemporary sci-fi it looks like we were able to spend money on this but they weren't sure what they wanted to spend yeah. money on the robot design is so boring I didn't mind the movement. It's, it's okay. the, the movement, the movement was, was yeah. good. It had a kineticism to the movement. Yeah. The actual design is incredible. It's a template. The design of the robot isn't as bad as the design of the, of the locations. It's just it looks like like if a TV ad set in a sci-fi environment. 
it's a, this kind of generic like Mass Effect kind of look. Like, yeah. um, uh, Metal Gear final, Solid. It final felt like Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Just like oh, yeah, yeah. big metal, metal right. hallways. Actually, you know what it oh, felt like? Full um, Metal Gear Solid. Samus. What's the Samus game? Metroid. Full yeah. But Metroid full and Metal Gear Solid have, different, have more interesting locations than this film, though. Yeah. Spe- wow. Like, it, it just... It, this just looks like... Um, barely off storyboard. Yeah. It looks yeah. barely off storyboard in terms of the conceptual design, yeah. which... Yeah. And, and I appreciate... And it's a sci-fi film. The visual is so, such a huge part of it, and this does not look better than what you could imagine. This, this looks like This looks much like as... No. Like Quake you, you want to see it done well... Look, <laughs> yeah. look like you get respawned four, in like yeah. the, the yeah. same <laughs> location. Look, look at how George Miller did the Mad Max movies. A much better example of... I think possibly an even lesser but budget. Even, no, but look, the, 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 this is going for, um, I think, the feeling of like you know the original alien like uh, isolation in space and like increasing dread to some i mean it's it's different um it's not as much into the horror territory but i draw that comparison because um partly because i think there needs to be more of a sense of of actual like dread and fear than this film ever goes for for this Mm. kind of thing to work and secondly because think about how amazing the production design in alien was yeah, and this is this is seems to be so CG augmented that they poten- potentially this guy was the limit in terms of how this looked. But there's there's a, there's a difference and that it's just nothing. Alien was all practical, well mostly practical effects, yeah. and Geiger just incredible stuff. But the robot was CGI, and therefore, and again we bring up the Uncanny Valley territory. It's incre- it's very difficult to create a sense of intimacy between a human and a robot uh, when it's all CGI. Yeah, when it the, the film depends on that, and then you have. Hilary Swank figure come in two humans, which is much more straightforward to to have a level of intimacy between. Mm. Was there as opposed to however they did render the CGI figure? So there's an automatic disconnect there, which you know would have been fine if they had a robot lost in space, a Doctor Who style, and just dress something up and put some mechanics and some animatronics. That would have been okay. It would have been so easy for some of the fast sequences, but a less but in, an inconsistent approach to how the robot was emulated whether it be some cgi for the faster moving sequences and practical effects some of the other sequences um would could have worked just as well if not better mm. i mean i i just wonder that our movies relying on too much cgi in, in that sense it would be better if we didn't have that kind of because i guess the budget in this film like like i think both of you have mentioned that having too much money was actually a hindrance rather than if this was imagined in the budget that what the writers thought, this might have been much more effectively handled. I think it would have been grittier. Um, and I feel like I, I feel sometimes when there are restrictions on your production design, it can you force you get you more creative. creative. And, and yeah. I wonder if had that been the circumstance, this film may have been better. Um, that is I Am Mother. It is now screening on Netflix, an Australian production. Um, the next thing we are talking about, should we do Dairy Girls? Yeah, we should, yeah. Let's do Dairy well, Girls. Yeah. Dairy Girls last year when it premiered um, Lisa McGee's new show was uh, fantastic a, a fantastic, and was a immediate hit in Ireland and around the world. It is set in Derry in the 90s um, at a, a height of the conflict in Ireland and follows four young women um, who are teenagers in this town and going to school and go to local Catholic school. And then uh, the, f- the fifth Derry girl um, comes in and it's not a girl it's a, it's a guy but he comes over from england he's the cousin yeah. of michelle and all hell breaks loose and because he can't go to the uh local boys school because he has a british accent and 
you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't get out of there alive. He uh, is sent to the girls' school run by Sister Michael, played by Siobhan McSweeney, who amidst a number of good actors is probably the best thing about the show. And also has Tommy Tin and the comedian. And um, I'm sorry, I forget the actor's name. He played Barristan Selmy in Game of Thrones. Um, to, to do Ian McClenney and obviously um, James is the young man. The other characters are Aaron Orla, Claire and Michelle. The first season is absolutely superb. Um, it's... We'll get this out of the way at the beginning because it's impossible not to talk about the series without talking about the Inbetweeners. Um, it is in many respects, which I also rewatched recently. It's similar in many respects in terms of not just the four main figures, um, some of who are very similar. There's the Neil equivalent in yeah. Orla. Um, there, Michelle is the, the guy with the spiky hair um, who loved Carly in the Inbetweeners. Uh, yes, uh, I, I know what you're talking about, but oh God, yeah, I have the face in my head, but I'm forgetting the name. Um, uh, and yeah. there's a Simon equivalent as well. There's a Simon equivalent. Yeah. Uh, the Inbetweeners is better, and for reasons that we'll, we'll get into a little later with some of the tracks in season two, um, this really hit a chord and still hits a chord because the uh, there's such a heightened discussion. I was just in Ireland. I was in Ireland when the se- first part of this second season premiered, and there's a heightened discussion and tension and concern around the politics dynamics in Ireland and Northern Ireland given um, the fallout, the terrible fallout from Brexit and the impact it will have on the region and the significance of the EU, membership of the EU, in um, stability along that border. Um, Dairy Girls is something... It, it, it portrays the first generation who lived through this terrible era but um, weren't, but still had an extreme hope for the future as best characterised on Erin's incredibly lofty, wonderful, hilarious speeches. And there's something charming about the parents who are obviously very concerned throughout the series, but when the girls in the season two, my highlighter season two, want to go out and meet the person, the boys, the parents are like, no, no, you can't do this. And they're just like, we want to meet cute boys. And it's... It, it, Sometimes it's simple as that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it was a really great characterization of the intergenerational changes in this part of the world, which I, which, which I really liked the first season. I mean, yeah, the first season is fantastic because it just completely balances so many aspects about, you know, there is that teenage uh, drama, comedy element... Uh, the Irish accents, which, granted, it took me a while to get around to. Oh, it was, they were beautiful. They were, I just, know. they were just beautiful. They were beautiful, but it just, for my year, it took me like 20 minutes to get attuned to them. But anyway, <laughs> you know. But once you're actually there, they, 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 you sort of grow new and it just becomes part of the part of the world. So yes, the, the world building in this, in this uh, show is fantastic, but also genuinely inspired because, you know, to be honest, we've seen that Mean Girls style of storytelling where... When people go to school, everyone's mean, everyone's, you know, teenagers, hormones running crazy, and everyone's, you know, you have too many cliches in, in that set. But I think what Derry Girls managed to achieve in season one was that it broke through a lot of those stereotypes and actually set that school drama in an actual real world. You know, it was very Irish. This wasn't just a generic teenage, you know, going to school kind of coming-of-age comedy. This was an Irish coming-of-age teenage comedy. And I think that's very specific, and I think... That's the beauty of it. And then season two lost that a bit. And I think that's, uh, we should go into concern to season two. But I think season one struck a chord because it felt real. Yeah, to wrap on season one, it is very quintessentially Irish as a number of the jokes, which are more endearing due to be familiar with the region or certainly the culture. Um, just to note on one of the parents, I, I did mention Tommy Tiernan. He plays so against type in here. Um, <laughs> and he's very, very funny. I will say the jokes dynamic with him and the dad you know him there's already a very popular series with a father-in-law calling out a dad called jerry who he considers <laughs> a big klutz of course referring to rick and morty so it is a little grating to hear a similar dynamic but still it's fun and what this first season did so well 
is that, and the, the highlight of the whole series is the final few minutes of season one, where a very significant, one of my Cranberry songs, certainly one of my very favorite songs, is played over quite a dramatic event. And it's contra- the parents' reaction is contrasted with um, what their daughters are doing at that time. And um, it's, it, it's an incredible testament. It's a show about people who will persevere Mm-hmm. Through through events by um, li- it, it sounds so generic and plaintive, but living their best life and yeah. that and this and which the first season nailed and in the second season, oh god, um, okay. it, it becomes so generic and I think they lost that touch of the politics of Ireland that made the season one because the events that unfold in season one are so resultant of the politics of that time, yeah. right? And the show loses touch with its own politics and what it's trying to do is merging those ideas about here's why these people are going through this and here's the actual realities and what consequences might happen because of these actions. Season two, it's more of that template style work which kind of just sort of gyrates with you a bit and you sort of feel like, oh, this had so much potential and now it's become one of those, again, template-like style shows. Yeah, season one cut through um, a lot of the, uh, the, obviously there's a lot of, the, the conflict has been trade a lot in popular media and it cut through, here's the real human impact. I remember I visited Derry seven years ago for the first time, and, I'll never f- I, and I remember a story I was told about a father who lost their daughter in the Troubles and would have visit the mural um, where his daughter is memorialized each night. And I kept thinking about that moment because um, those sorts of themes resonated very strongly throughout the first season. And in fairness to great extent, the second season too, the best part of the second season was the first episode where um, the Catholic s- uh, school girls are paired up with a protestant boys school and there's a scene that went viral in ireland when i was in dublin it was hilarious where they have to list the what catholics and protestants have in common but they can only really find differences things like catholics have more freckles and catholics <laughs> and protestants don't like abba yeah. um which i don't know about protestants liking abba and yeah. i'm certainly lots of catholics have freckles but it was a very yeah. funny scene it, it was and i think it did something else which another one of my favorite shows did fleabag mm. with phoebe Waller bridge is merging religious sensibility humor comedy and politics yeah. in this kind of very postmodern sense about people finding out who they are and and still dream and still dealing with real life traumas Siobhan McSweeney is so disdainful in that sequence but oh, um, God, yeah. but the only scene in the whole series to rival the end of season one is the button at the end of that episode the gag involving the blackboard which I don't want to ruin which again cut through a lot of the um, this is actually what is happening here this is the human dynamic of the conflict. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I think you're right. I mean, part of what the appeal of Derry Girls was, at least season one, is... And the first, and season two, episode yeah, one, I will say. Yeah, is, is that these are not just gags. It's not just about the humour. The humour is undercut and often, you know, subverted by actual real-life events, which are quite dramatic, quite sad, at times quite traumatic. And I think the humour comes from how different characters react to those situations. And you don't expect... You expect them to do something and do something else entirely. And yet those reactions seem quite consistent to their characters. So for them, it makes absolute sense. But to your mind, you're like, how can you do that? Like, you're going through this. This should, you know, this should make no sense to you. How could you even think of doing something like this or saying something like this at that moment? So it's, it's a much more situational, rooted in actual reality, kind of observe 
sort of observational humor rather than gag style humor, which is very American. Mm. So I think it, the British humor kind of works but to then, its then advantage. Then Sorry, then Irish. Change. Irish, Irish humor. Yes. Sorry. I, th- I, th- I think it's the British style of humor. Certainly, yeah. no. Irish humor. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the f- ensuing five episodes, I referred to the in betweeners earlier. There are 18 episodes of that. Uh, I don't think there's a bad episode of it. I rewatched it earlier this year. And what it does well, while there are absurd situations they all get into, the humor in these situations, even if uh, whole stretches where they're just swearing and fighting amongst each other, the humor is endemic from the four characters and they're exactly spot on characterizations. You have a great dynamic between the four main actors and four main characters from the beginning of the show. It's like friends. They had them down pat from the beginning. What happens, though, is they move away from that dynamic to focus on gimmicks, whether it be um, a visit of a dignitary to Derry or a major event which, oh, you didn't actually need this. You could just put the four of them in a fish and chip shop as you did in the first season and you would have fun. It, it becomes more American, basically. It becomes, you know, something needs to happen. It becomes more like book smart. Yeah, ha- something needs to happen, so let's yeah. throw something in here now. No, you don't, you don't need to introduce... They introduce a lot of one-off characters throughout the second season who aren't that interesting and just come in to, oh, we need some, you, you don't need something new now, but you're in your second yeah. season. Infuse you're se- new you're, energy you're in your seventh episode. You're the most popular show in Ireland. Just let it run. Um, they had the priest in the first season who came back in the second season, and that was a great character. But again, the humor was endemic from the individual four characters rather than focusing on the priests themselves. Yeah, I mean, but, but still, I, I think this is a show which understood how to do comedy right. And I think... We're saying that because there's so much generic comedy, not only on Netflix, but just in cinemas as well. This gag-style humor, which is relying on undercutting jokes, a joke-a-thon, a joke-a-minute kind of style of humor. This kind of cuts through that kind of garbage to deliver something fresh. And I think uh, for that, Derry Girls was a, you know, deserves a lot of applause. Uh, even though season two doesn't live up to that hype, I think for that humor, it's, it's different. Without having watched the show, the type of joke a minute, um, just butting into me, yeah, kinda, yeah, the, kind, sure. the kind of joke a minute uh, style you're talking about goes back to what we were saying about always be my maybe. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, that kind of thing, I think that really relies upon a, um, to wo- to really work, you need, um, if you look at shows where it's worked, you need kind of a level of remove from reality. An extreme example would be something like Arrested Development, where it's super wacky. But even yeah. you know, a- any successful sitcom like that, like Seinfeld, there's a degree of like stylization to it. Yeah. Whereas uh, everything I hear about Derry Girls situates much more in the real world. You can't just it, be constantly it, throwing around jokes. It's a it's a real world scenario, yeah. and and that's the it's a different that, style that, of comedy. That, that's the drive of the show. That yet yeah, this is for people who remember this era and remember this environment. Yeah, um, it also does one of the great carnival sins of of television which usually happen much later in a series runtime unfortunately happened Derek Gould's only second season um and I'll refer to I, I referred to friends earlier how I mentioned another is a great example where but two things happen one the characters get into absurd situations sometimes involving celebrities and this happened around season five of both friends and how I your mother and just a lot of jumping the shark but more than that and happened with Robin um post season four of how I your mother where for any gag their reaction had to be so big and outlandish and half the gags and the latter half of Derry Girls are very much just um, some of the actors reacting over the top, particularly the um, Claire, the, the Nicola Coughlin oh, yeah. character, just yeah. just too much. And the joke admitted, um, which Chris referred to, it's great when it's in a heightened environment, but this isn't that sort of heightened environment. It's, particu- it's, it's a deliberately real environment. Why mm. do you think they've gone in a more joke-oriented direction? I think, I, I, 
I would like to know, I, I would honestly like to know if there'd been changes in the writing room. Mm-hmm. I think, I'd, I'd, unfortunately, I, I can't believe that the, the writers who were attached to the first season would run out of story ideas or dialogue so quickly, which would further their relationships rather than focus on yeah let's let actually you know chris we talked about it last week you you referred to book smart and chris referred to this one of his pet hates there is an episode about a drug-fueled craze oh yeah. my god no there's a uh, marijuana in these ones they shouldn't have gone out to these people it's literally yeah, a whole man. episode oh my god yeah but also like at the same time i, I feel like part of it is this constant tension that a lot of shows seem to have is about what is the right tone and i feel in season two uh, the writers were just not shown whether or not the tone they hit in season one was right and i feel they were second guessing themselves even though it's probably hugely popular in ireland it doesn't carry over well to you know it has a dedicated niche fan base but maybe they wanted to make it more commercially and mainstream popular you know popular I in the mainstream casual around the world i'm not irish background and i loved it i related to it yeah, uh, and I did too. But I guess you now we are the we are the dedicated hardcore kind of you know audiences no, who popular. are looking for that kind of humor. No, it's a generally popular show. Um, in like uh, because I just think Australia, like maybe places. like something like Black Books would it work today? I'm not quite sure in that kind of humor. I I think Black Books would work today. A classically classical style. Yeah, so I, similar I style to like the IT crowd. Yeah, yeah I mean, that wasn't that long get, ago. Get rid of the laugh track. Yeah, yeah, yeah but actually, I, I think a lot of the episodes of the IT crowd would not work. You know, the I disabled episode would not work today. <laughs> uh, the, the, there's bits about the IT crowd. <laughs> well, that was really that funny, though. Uh, I, I can say that, guys. I actually watched the IT crowd for the first time a few months ago. I watched it all the way through. After season three, it truly falters. It truly gets yeah. bad yeah. for the reasons I've referred to in the context of Dairy Girls. Um, I think this happens as a lot of series mature. Um, it's strange to see it happen in the second season of a very well-constituted first season. And it's only six episodes, season. so it's not like it's, these are long episodes and too many episodes. So, you know, it's quite a self-contained yeah. format. Honestly, I wonder if they just planned six episodes and didn't plan to go beyond that. Like, the end of the first season, If it, I'm glad they had a second season. If the, end, if the end of the first season was the end of the series, that would have yeah, been quite fine. Self, it was a, quite it was self-contained. a great button. Yeah. Yeah. So that is Derry Girls. It is now screening streaming on Netflix. What a recommendation. <laughs> look, look, it is. Watch the first seven episodes, and if you, you can watch the rest of it, it's just not nearly as laugh at the funny. I love the episode with the Ukrainians in season one. It's like, <laughs> you're, 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 you're all the same religion. No, no, Protestants and Catholics are different. It's, not like, it's more complicated. There's just all these great little bits. Yeah, it's trying to explain differences between Indians and Pakistanis to white people. Anyway... Um, um, <laughs> all right. And the next thing. On that with, note. On that note. And next thing, should we do? Um, we can do Stranger Things. That seems to be the big. It's Netflix's flagship yeah, show. Let's Stranger Things have happened on the show. Yes. So Stranger Things season three was released recently. I understand there's going to be a four season arc. So there'll be another one to look forward to. With really? Next year. Yes. Oh god. They no, did, no. Yeah. yeah um, they. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, they, they'll Sorry. Be, they'll, I, I just felt despair like actual despair in that moment sorry guys you hated season three no but like i don't want like no more it should have stopped after season two or even one just give us some kind of reprieve look at orange is the new black netflix just have a habit and house of cards a habit of milking their shows shamelessly they just can't let go Mm. well stranger things though is that 
Stranger thing where they didn't think it'd be that big a hit. It, it, it built on word of mouth, unlike House of Cards. House of Cards was, you will love this, David Fincher, Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright. Whereas Stranger Things was, oh wait, people like this. This is good. Although make st- more. Make Stranger more. Things clearly already, though, was had a bit of a budget from season one. Yeah, we're known a writer. Yeah. And the, the, even the quality of the effects is quite high for a new Netflix original TV show. Yeah. But they weren't actually, we have to remember, they weren't any really big name actors. I mean, Winona Ryder's a big name actor, but she hasn't done a lot of uh, big films yeah. in quite a while. Um, so Edward to the hand. And David Harbour had, had, was a bit character actor in a few things. Now he's obviously Hellboy and famous, and he's got this new other Netflix murder thing. Oh I'm God, seeing yeah. the Frank, new Frankenstein the, Chronicles. The new Hellboy was terrible apparently, too. So. Apparently, uh, that it's just a 30 minute one off. Apparently, it's quite funny. The Frankenstein's monsters, okay. monster Frankenstein. I think. <laughs> oh, it's, it's even one I'll watch it. Sure. So, Stranger Things is by the Duffer Brothers. It is an original concept set in Hawkins, Indiana, in the 1980s, uh, with four uh, a group the the, the, the a group it, of characters, group of characters from, from it, it or Stand <laughs> by Me. Yes. Who <laughs> some Stephen King get they have, they have a name. The Losers the Club. The, the Losers Club is from yeah. it. It's the, it's yeah. exactly that. Yeah. They get together. The they Goonies. play Dungeons and Dragons. They have an old, totally older teenager. They all their brothers and sisters are a little bit older than them and they get together and of course they are in this montauk type town where there is a secret dodgy strange mysterious government testing facility down the road where no one really knows what happens there's a local police chief it's a small town they live small town american 80s life one of the boys goes missing under mysterious circumstances in the first season they have to go find him this as and the first season of stranger things it's about as it's close to perfect there's not a lot you can identify that's bad about it what I loved about it was simply that it traded off 80s-style filmmaking, one of the great areas of filmmaking, rather than 80s cliches or homages. So it was in the style of these things like E.T. and whatnot and the Goonies, but it was an entirely original concept, which didn't trade off the imagery, but trade off the conceptions that originally made those materials popular. And season two and three, um, there's, a mo- there's a point in season two where the new character, Max, is explained the storyline of the first season. She says, oh, yeah. I liked it. A little derivative, but I liked it. And that's <laughs> the point where it went ironic. It took the series, the series took itself seriously in the first season, and then it became, uh, no, we, we have to we have to poke fun of ourselves. But, and you know, but no, you don't, you look, don't need to. You take again, yourself seriously. It's okay. Going, going back to Chris's point and going back to our larger thesis that we're trying to say is, is this, it's hard to strike a sincere balance between what, because so much of the humor has become postmodern and postmodern humor's most people think is, you know, if I'm not being self-aware and not winking at myself, then will people even get it, uh, you know? And so it's all about, you know, oh, look what we did, and now we're successful, so we got to make fun of ourselves before somebody else makes fun of us. So I'm not... I miss just sincerity in that sense, and I feel it's just become so derivative. By calling that it was derivative, it becomes derivative of its own self, right? It, it, it has, and more than I, I appreciate that series to an extent have to acknowledge recurring things that would be outrageous in them yeah. post facing but there are ways to do it. Um, but also, it, like you know, if, if you are doing an eighties theme sort of thing, you know, we get it. You don't have to literally wink at the camera and tell us that, oh, look, we are in this. This is I, I know this is the two thousands, but we look like we're in an eighties town. But yeah. it's okay. We get it. We we get the world you set up. At least give the audience, you know, that level of 
consider themselves smart enough that they can figure it out. There's a lot more winking at the audience in season three than there are in the other seasons. I just hated that. I just felt so on the nose and I wanted to punch a TV screen one or my laptop whatever you know. one of the great de- devices whatever it is you think kids use sort of show Netflix <laughs> yes. these days uh, uh, the phone the phone uh, screen uh, speaking oh yeah it's, but don't watch this on your phone it's much better on a bigger screen um, speak, we watched the first episode on as big a screen as possible at our friend's place and that was that yeah. was quite fun and speaking of repetitive and it's such a sadness <laughs> to think <laughs> you could uh, I'm failing at my impression at the moment you could ever think You've watched something on your fucking telephone. Get real. <laughs> is, is, that, is that a weekly it's reference? David Lynch okay, reference. I had to slip right. it in. It's, it's in there. Okay, we're, we're done. Yeah. Okay, we're, done with, we're done with reference of the week. That's, that, that's great. Thanks. Good one, Chris. Good one. Um, yeah, I saw the opportunity and I had to take it. <laughs> David Lynch was around in the 80s. He was making Elephant Man. It's fine. Um, speaking of... Oh speaking God, this, of this Elephant Man. This film. This, this show, the show. See, what is a film? Fir- what is a show anymore? <laughs> We blurred the lines. (laughs) Because you watched the first season, you know that it was about um, a rift and having to close that rift. The second season, did you watch the second season? It was about a rift. And closing a rift. You know what the third season was about? Let me guess. Yeah. Um, A rift. Between people and uh, time. Yeah, is there a monster? Is there like is there a fle- weird flesh monster again? Well, all those things are there, but now there are <laughs> Russians. Now there's okay. more. We have a Russian term. The, the Russian Terminator, as he's been dubbed, who was actually quite funny. Season three is just an elaborate screen test for Maya Hawke. She there, was good. There, she there was. Is, she was is. the best. I said it. All right. Maya Hawke was excellent in this. Her and Steve's dynamic and Dustin's dynamic was excellent in this. The best she was excellent, but the, the whole season was basically conjured up so she could have an elaborate screen test. That's it. There was no other reason for this season to exist. Um, having said that, though, Steve's arc. Steve was the classic bully in the first season, and he has undergone... He's, he has a changed dynamic in the group. He's now um, an actually interesting character. Love, you know. And Steve and Maya Hawke's characters are... Like, them together... I would have watched a whole season just for them, but then we had to split everyone up. And that's the other thing. The first season worked because it was a bottle. Everyone was together. But now, no, we have to go on different surrounds, yeah, different tangents. Because we, we have to explore tensions, and we have to split up the character and explore them individually. Because oh, there are too many. Yeah. Oh, oh, so why is Billy liked now? Billy was nearly a psychopath in the first season. He was an abusive, terrible person. But now, apparently, not that he doesn't deserve a redemption arc, but it was not nearly so fleshed out. So, uh, suddenly, he's a nice nice enough guy. No, he wasn't. He never was. Glenn, don't you know, we all love reformed toxic man babies. Okay. Right. No. Speaking of toxic man babies, <laughs> um, David Harbour's characterization, <laughs> he was so... That was so beautiful. <laughs> I will give you that. You've Thank won you. the show. Thank you. Oh, how wonderful was he in the first season? He was this grieving father who wanted to care for Eleven and care for the people in his town. A bit of that extended in the second season with him being a little more charming and getting to see what he does at home and you know, being a bit of a klutz around the place. But in this, he was just angry and rude and horrible to people as if suddenly... No, there's plenty of places for your character to go. He wasn't interesting in the second season, first and two seasons because he was gruff. He was interesting because he had this tragic past. None of the, the, none of the uh, and he was still very empathetic. Which and he had like real empathy for people, and you know, it was going through grieving through trauma. It wasn't really, you know, he wasn't projecting in the way that he was projecting almost entirely of season three. But, but, but he, he didn't. He was just gruff yeah. and angriness. And yeah. you know what it's actually like. In, in I, what I really disliked about the DC recent Batman movies with Ben Affleck, aside from a lot of things about this movies, <laughs> okay. was that the best thing about the first one, Dawn of Justice, a terrible film, was uh, Ben Affleck's characterization. Okay, sorry, I've even forgotten the title. So okay. yeah, and he was interesting. He was interesting enough in the second episode one, Justice League. 
he was playing a completely different character. He was just playing gruff, angry Batman. It was a different characterization. Martha, and the same, why did you take that name? That was, that was the first one. <laughs> and it's the same, ish, same thing here. David Hobbs is doing someone completely different. And oh, There's the, no consistency. And I feel a lot of it is because uh, beyond a season, and I think it's because it's also the Netflix model, you don't know whether your show is going to get renewed because you don't know whether it's going to do well. And when it does get renewed, it's at you know the 11th hour. And then you don't plan it for a two or three season arc. You plan it for a self-contained one season. Apparently a lot of Netflix shows, the new shows they're doing, I usually plan to have a game plan to go for three seasons because that's a maybe it's an adjustment to, so shows don't have to go through this problem. Yeah, but it, it, it just feels like there is no consistent narrative arc development for each character and they feel like oh we've already tried this for this character now now what what if we just hit the reboot button for this character and they have to do something else entirely well that was an issue with green arrow i'm certainly i'm only reminded of it because i look oh at green arrow God. right now you can't see <laughs> in the studio but chris has just put his green hood don't, up don't, <laughs> don't go there there's too many scars from that show oh um, god green arrow oh my god um, um that show jumped a whale, not a shark. Can I, since we're just talking about whatever at the moment, can I derail the conversation to say something I should have said when we were talking about I am mother? Um, yes, we have two things, <laughs> two points on Stranger Things to bring up later, but yes, I am mother. What the hell is two time Academy Award winner for Best Actress Hilary Swank doing in that movie? She has, <laughs> she, she, she's she has two interesting, uh, interesting she, she has strange choices. Yeah. That was makes. that is the million dollar question. <laughs> right. <laughs> she just she wasn't that good in the film. No. Right? No. Uh, and it, it didn't require an actor that good. No. The, the only role that required actually the, the, the only roles that required a good actor really Rose was, was Rose Byrne's role. Rose Byrne did really well. Yeah. Anyway, as you were. No, Rose <laughs> Byrne is a fantastic <laughs> actress. I, I really hope she gets a due. She's a yeah, fantastic Ro- dramatic actress. Amazing. She's and a fantastic she's comedic actress. I yeah, she's the castle. Remember everyone yeah. remember that one? She was great in Spy. She was great in Spy. She's actually great in she Bad Neighbors. She was great neighbors. in Brad, yes. Bridesmaids. Five-year engagement. Pretty much any... Five-year engagement? Yeah. Wasn't yeah. I think Fun. so. Right. Uh, or maybe I, I, not. I, I, but yeah. um, she was, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, she was. She was one of the, one of the couples. But l- she's been fantastic okay. in pretty much any movie I've seen her in. Mm. Yeah, she um, needs to get more recognition. She was even good in Troy. She was. She was fantastic in Troy. Uh, oh, Troy better than Tyne Kruger. There you go, I've said it. Yeah, she was, Diane Kruger was good, but uh, she, that, that was just a terrible film. She yeah. had no real opportunity for any great range She in that was movie. playing Helen of Troy. Helen is a much more interesting character than um, and most of the adaptations have led on. Certainly the adaptation that accompanied the film production on the two-part television one 15 years ago was really good, as was the recent BBC one. Um, which yeah. probably had the which probably had my probably my favorite Hill and Troy performance. Yeah, talking about um, TV adaptations and like act- from actual TV, Vikings season five. I don't never Fantastic. watched Vikings. Oh yeah, as anyway. a Game of Thrones guy. Um, so Stranger Things. Shall we wrap? Yeah, let's, um, let's wrap it up. Two things. We we have to talk about the never ending story. Now I oh don't. God. Okay, so this this is the big divisive thing about the season. There's a scene where, uh, without ruining anything, where. Uh, a prominent song from the Neverending Story, a film which I really don't have that much nostalgia. I enjoyed. I never had that much nostalgia for. Was recited. I actually liked that sequence. It just spoke to as enjoy as enjoyable as it was. It just spoke to how we are moving in the direction of pushing the nostalgia buttons, even though we don't need to. So it's just lazy writing. When give give the internet ready, you know, GIF audience audience who just prepared to roll the full of GIFs of this film something they'll like. And this is it. Something that will play well in the BuzzFeed article. Something that will be like... They, they want 
something obscure, relatively obscure for, from popular culture, is you pushed up the Google search rankings. That's the cachet the show was going for, yeah, and this was that opportunity. It's Ready Player Two from Ready, instead of Ready Player God. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but part of that is just a general problem with, you know, not just, I think, Stranger Things 3, but the kind of content, content, uh, <laughs> uh, Netflix wants to put out. Like, are they going for prestige cinema? Are they going for, you know, grand filmmaking? Are they just going for, let's make up an above average show which will do well with this millennial audience well they'll lap it up through buzzfeed articles and listicles and we'll just get you know traction for the show rather than actually create a good interesting story uh, uh, maintain the fan base mm. um last thing about this and sherlock um, started it all god that was horrible oh season four that was we, we've never talked about it on this uh, show before um yeah that was oh that was that was lousy the last thing about this um without uh without going into spoiler territory the ending has a very faux level of suspense and hook. The reason I say it's a very extremely faux level of suspense, which um, will likely, I may, I hope to be proven wrong, but will likely be resolved very perfunctorily, very disappointingly, very quickly in the coming season, is that we have seen a not dissimilar arc and story beat play out early, prominently earlier in the series, and it's set up in exactly the same way, and I would hope they do something different, but given the quality of the season past, I don't have my hopes up. I, I'm not going to watch season four. I've said it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. My patience has been exhausted. Uh, they can put as many strange things in the next season. I'll not be amused. But yeah, it's like it's it's done. It's 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 run its course. What if one of the strange things is like Kate Beckinsale or something? I, I would I would watch would that. You yeah, I saw Kate Beckinsale once. Did you watch that then? You, 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 you tell that story pretty much. I think this is the tenth time I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah, my, my would, would that make you watch it? Uh, I, I was, it was pretty great. Yeah, depends what she's doing in it. Like, if she's just there, then, like, I could just... I'd watch a film with Kate Beckinsale just there. She's an amazing actress. Every Underworld... I, 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 I'm a great defender of the Underworld series. I know there it's, like, diminishing returns get progressively you know, worse. Rise of the Lightnings was really cool. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're all good. Um, and not I, I'm all of them, but... Yeah, okay. they are all good, because they have Kate Beckinsale, and okay. all right, and okay. she's a great actress, and the series is just fun, and it's my Guilty Pleasure series, and I will defend it to, to I, the point. I like how you said she's a great actress, but I don't think she, that's the reason why you I'm, love I'm sure the she series. She is a superb actress. She is, uh, she is, is. Is there a bad Kate Beckinsale performance? Yeah, the only living boy in New York. Was oh, I never saw that. <laughs> great. I, I, I never, I never saw that movie. Just uh, what's one. the great one? Love and Mercy, years back at the Oh, Love and Friendship. Oh, which still Love and Friendship. Love and Mercy. Love and Friendship. That is a modern classic. Uh, I tell you, it's great one of movie. the best Austin adaptations ever. I would say it's even better than the original Pride and Prejudice. Shoot me now, the BBC version. It's better than that. Uh, it's 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 not better than uh, what was one of the best literary adaptations of all time. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah, I think that's Netflix too. If you haven't seen it, um, go watch it. It's launched Jennifer L and Colin launched Colin Firth into a pool in a shirt. So he went, there's that, now a bust of Colin. That is not the reason for Pride and Prejudice. Uh, okay, maybe for a lot of people it is, I it, guess. Uh, it, it's, not the, it, it's not the best thing about the series, but it's the most um, enduring aspect of that series. It's yeah. a, it, it does the whole of Pride and Prejudice does, and gets the subtleties of the dynamic between but Kitty and Lydia and everyone else. funnier. And it has definitely the it's best. It's not funnier. Yes, the, the, it is. I'm oh, sorry, Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett oh in the first God. season were, were, were wonderfully hilarious. I'm sorry. Uh, the title cards, uh, Lucy Mannering and, you know, his divinely handsome husband, they were hilarious descriptions. And uh, Tom Bennett's character, 
was, you know, Church Hill. Oh, I thought there was a church and a hill. But anyway. <laughs> but, 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 but madam, what's the name of the he, his aunt, uh, Darcy's aunt, uh, uh, the, the uber-rich one, like the oh, richest yeah. one in the whole series. She oh, yeah, was quite yeah. funny. The, she, she was, was very was bird-like. And yeah. But anyway. You, you, you have quite a small yard, Miss Bennett. Uh, <laughs> your, house is not, your house is not very big at all. Mm. A woman must improve her mind through reading. Oh, God, remember that. Um, so yeah. that's primary. Oh, so <laughs> where we'll check out if you haven't seen it. Oh, obviously, the book is is it still surpasses it and is mm. worth a read. Um, should we talk about Black Mirror and Bandersnatch? Uh, Chris. Yes, Bandersnatch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bandersnatch. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched the latest season of Black Mirror. Let's let's just talk about Bandersnatch. But I did watch Bandersnatch. It was pretty good. <laughs> I, Those I, are my thoughts. I watched this in London over Christmas. Oh dear. Uh, this is obviously so Black Mirror was a show we should note when we reviewed season four last year when it just came out we said it was the best thing on tv um i would revise that opinion in light of season five and two bandersnatch bandersnatch was a feature length choose your own adventure style movie where you could choose what directions and go in multiple directions what the characters could do it was released over christmas and a couple of months a month ago or so season during the sydney film festival which is why we didn't review it at the time season five of black mirror and its three episodes were dropped Bandersnatch is a lot of fun. Uh, Will Poulter is great, as always. Um, but it really shows the limitations of the choose-your-own-adventure format because I found that whenever the story was getting interesting, um, it would just cut to a, an end. The endings were never satisfying because, you know, like the, it could... it would The story about somebody working on a computer program... Whenever it starts to push in the, oh, your reality isn't real direction and I want to explore further in that way, oh, that's it. Or, um, oh God, I'm... I'm <laughs> yeah, for, for me, I'm it trying was to remember more... The other directions, but this, the directions went... And the whole show went in exceptionally meta-territory when it didn't need to. You could have got by simply on the gimmick of, oh, you're doing this on such a scale? Great. But no, um, the meta to the extent they have one scene where they literally break through the power through the fourth wall um, why do we have to know um, that this was going to be a series produced by Black Mirror in the context of this universe there's a clip on yeah. a story to that effect you don't need to go meta to be entertaining uh, I don't think I saw that what, what happens I, are, we, I, are we spoiling it for everyone now is that oh, <laughs> oh, it, it, there are so it, many it, endings you guys so many endings. I thought I saw I thought I saw all of it but apparently not is yeah. it um, there's, there's, the internet have found like every iteration I haven't seen everyone but there is one where um, they go into modern day let's just say yeah. Okay, well, I missed that one, but um, I tried to capture everything in it. Uh, you need to... Look, it's interesting. It's fun going and seeing all the endings, but as I said, whenever you push the narrative into a direction that would you know, uh, appeal to you, it comes to a conclusion. We, yeah. we just see like the, the barest uh, you know, movement towards that, and then they simply for production reasons, didn't have time to shoot an yeah. entire satisfying narrative that stretches off into all these different directions. It's why probably video games... Yeah, um, exactly. Are, like are, I was thinking about yeah. the Stanley Parable, for example. Right, yeah. yeah, video games, instead of something that's been directly, you know, that has to be filmed um, on a reasonable budget, are, are probably a better way to create this kind of story because there's more flexibility to just keep extending it once you, you know... And then decide on the strange yeah, new direction second guess based on what you would pick and then try to mess with you a bit more yeah and, and i think this was just about you know what if you choose this ending yeah and another. yeah the and the endings are so crazy i feel like um in a more interesting thing would have been keeping everything a little bit more grounded 
and creating more small choices. Yeah, like it, it is trying to preempt yeah. what choice you would make in but this, it's in this about juncture rather yeah. than actually an end point. Yeah, this is about what's the the wackiest ending you can choose to trigger the I final cutscene. I guess <laughs> I just realized that we've hit upon this very recurring theme where I feel like people need to up the stakes and by upping the stakes they feel like something wacky now needs to happen whether it is in movies or through recurring gags or through in Bandersnatch where I think it's a very postmodern way of trying to solve this crisis of people not realizing that realistic, grounded sensibility can actually appeal to people. Well, the, it's the direction that Hollywood's been trending for so long because if you look at the, the largest entertainments that everyone pursues are so far out of the realm of reality now that probably everyone feels that entertainment has to be super heightened. Oh yeah, the, the, the grand spectacle and people feel like the only reason yeah. you go to the movies is for the grand spectacle. A and that's and the reason why this comedy is so over the top I think. It's just th there's this sense that something true to life doesn't hook people anymore. If you ever read, I really enjoyed the Choose Your Own Adventure books. I still have a few of them around the house growing up. Oh, yeah, this is a great throwback to that those 80s Choose Your Own Adventure. It, it is, but it also isn't because in those, just by virtue of the format, you get a better relationship with the material. You can flick yeah. through it a lot better. You can more easily explore the iterations. You can't do that as well it takes in ages this format. It takes a long time. You can't, really, you can't fast forward. No. So you have to watch a lot of scenes you can't again. flick back and forth. You can't just find the other path. Yeah. I stopped, I stopped it after about an hour 40, hour 50, because it was just... I've had enough but i know there was a lot more to come yeah um i would curious i yeah i it was it was okay i would like to see more in this format i was discussing this while ago with my cousin who is uh, to his great credit the world expert in interactive fiction and i know he was talking that just so that Did we could see that was a thing yep he is according to the bbc wow. and nice yeah he's very proud of him and i know he's always hoped for more digital iterations of such story formats I think this is a shot in the right direction. I would like to see more experimentation, and I don't think Bandersnatch will. I think Bandersnatch is encouraged more than discouraged it, which is good. Mm. Um, on the matter of season five of Black Mirror, I, do I, I don't think it's encouraged any more Black Mirror or anyone to see any more Black Mirror because it no, is such it an absurd drop in quality. Absurd drop in quality from some I of the best like television we've seen in the past in 10 years. Miley Cyrus, and they were like, Oh my god! The worst episode of the whole yeah. series, and they felt like they now have to make a season to justify that they've got Miley Cyrus. All right, a couple of things that are really wrong with the season of Black Mirror: there are only two episodes in the preceding four seasons, which take place in a universe which is very recognizably this could happen today. Stories where it's essentially this could happen today. Mm. All three of the story, except for the third one, and aspects of the third one, all three of the stories could happen today, and are set really contemporaneously so there's no um scale of the world building we saw in 15 million merits or in um even some of the even crocodile even even some of the lesser episodes what's the one with the black and white one from uh the fifth episode of season four uh, even the lesser ones you don't see anything nearly on that scale this felt really rushed i mean they it, it just felt like they had to put together an, a season because they've Landon Pond, like I said, you know, it's not that they had great writing and then they reached out to Miley Cyrus to be like, you'd be perfect to play in this. Oh, and she Cyrus. wasn't like, they, they could have cast anyone. Like the whole Miley Cyrus yeah. thing was was not a draw card. It didn't have to, it, be, it her. Didn't have to be anyway. Well, they, be, yeah. they did her because, they chose her because for the simple reason that the, they knew that the song that she sung for it would be popular and would chart. Know, but like but the, the song is... such a bad through line to have. Like a re that's not a reason to... 
but the, the song is intentionally generic and bad and somehow it's charting like that's that's black mirror enough for me it's a bad song about which is, is, is meant to hit all the bad notes do, it is do, you, do you think that's meta enough for black mirror that they would be like we now intentionally make this and look we've got Miley Cyrus, so we're gonna get a song that's gonna chart and it did happen so they'd be like haha got you but maybe but, but yeah well, I, like, maybe, I think the producers will enjoy that little bit of irony but it's in the worst episode of the series and what really got me was there are only a couple of happy black mirror endings um the classic one and probably the most loved episode of black mirror is san junipero which has a twist on a happy ending um one episode of the season did have a twist on happy ending mm-hmm. another one had a pure happy ending and i'm not saying we need you know dark despairing endings for Black Mirror to hit home but they made a point and the happy endings here and like the, some of the happy endings in the earlier seasons don't make the point at all it's just we want to feel good now which is the point of what made San Junipero and probably my series favorite season one of my favorites in the whole series Hang the DJ so good Hang the DJ was fantastic gosh and yeah it just it saddens me like I'm genuinely sad to know that that this has happened to a show that I loved. This is what happens when you just allow things to go on for too long. Everyone runs out of ideas sometimes. Yeah, but and not every like, uh, concepts can't go forever. Yeah, but yeah. also, like, there didn't need to be a season five. Like, there's nothing to justify. There's no one creative bone in this season that I could say that, oh, this could have been better. Oh, no, no. I will say... All right, let's, so the, episodes, the third one was terrible. It's Disney-esque. Let's go on an adventure now. Miley Cyrus was absolutely wasted in this. Um, the second episode, probably the best one of the series, not a, of the season, not a very high bar. The one with Andrew Scott and the Google executive, a uh, faux Google executive, who's what Topher Grace playing um, the characterization of the extreme characterization of every Silicon Valley cliche ever. I can't believe they wasted Andrew Scott. I mean, he's fantastic, and they still managed to and they robbed, make him look bad. And they robbed us of an ending. They they, sh- they they were trying to be coy, but no, we actually needed the finite ending for that story. Um, the button uh, closed door scenario, fine, interesting enough, but you need to follow through on a resolution they didn't. And it was such a, and the, the I, Black Mirror previously has such posed great philosophical questions. Um, th- th- they boil it down to the extent of things like, you know, you shouldn't drive while doing this, or you shouldn't, uh, very just simple moral lessons like yeah. things you just know like it, it, black mirror has been and should be so much broader and more encapsulating than that but it, it, it was not it, it felt like messages for trump's america essentially <laughs> you know? I, I don't think it felt like messages for trump's america at all you know but like it's going for that kind of iq level anyway um, sorry I'm, I'm just, i've just generalized to a lot, lot extent but forgive me um, yeah, it was, I was just sad and angry <laughs> and mostly sad. Yeah, the, 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 the season is not even compared to the other seasons, but it's objectively bad this this season. It is just and, uh, no redeeming qualities. I can't defend it. Um, the, with the first episode, my favorite thing about the whole season was the in-striking vipers, the simulations of the game scenario, like the Street Fighter worlds, which would have been great fun to location scout. We had these two great actors fighting amongst each other. Go full Jumanji, you know, why not? That, that, that was really fun. Um, I think this, to note, this first season, first episode, um, did get some criticism in regards to its depiction of LGBT characters, and I don't agree with that at all. I think that was kind of, I think it was actually quite a um, broad and encompassing and uh, viewings of these some of the issues that were raised and ones that you and a perspective that you would not normally see in mainstream television even re- television that isn't so mainstream to boot i like the striking vipers um you know fight sequences but otherwise the episode was very generic and mostly dull yeah i, I agree and look once again we, we're coming back to like shows having to somehow tick the boxes in inclusivity diversity and you know 
have to account for tokenistic representation just to avoid criticism rather than actually trying to... I, I don't think that's the issue at all. I should, okay, in fairness, I should elaborate on this point. Yeah. Because it, um, the, the sh- the no, it, it deals I, I, don't, I don't think Black Mirror does it, but I feel like they run the risk of falling afoul of that kind of sentim- sentiment if they don't do it. Because, you know, you kind of have to run through a checklist be like, okay, now, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? So the only other option is going the Marvel way is to give you incredibly tokenistic representation and, you know, going full out in one scene for like two seconds to give the audience that GIF moment that they can go and be like, now there is representation in diversity. Look, we just give you the scene. Um, I, I don't think this episode was tokenistic. It dealt no, not at all. It, it no. dealt with a relationship, a platonic relationship between two male best friends and uh, feelings they have for each other um, that are of a more romantic nature. Um, I think the criticism was, one of the criticisms was that it could be seen as saying, you know, um, conforming to a certain idea or a traditional idea of a of, of a life you should be pursuing romantic and otherwise is good um, I don't think that's what the episode was saying at, no, all. at all I think it was arguing for that you can have different types of relationships and you can have a multiple relationships coexist potentially in a healthy environment potentially in an unhealthy environment and, but depending on in, on in a very basic level how honest you can be with your partner or partners it was a lot more honest and nuanced discussion, which I don't think the e- episode explored in the way that it could have. And I think uh, it wasted opportunity there, but the conversation it tried to start was definitely important. And I don't think the actual online sort of engagement with the episode really s- did any favors in terms of going beyond the surface and superficial level of usually, you know, listicle articles that people write about shows especially Netflix shows so I think Black Mirror is that kind of a show which actually deserves a lot more critical engagement in what kind of themes it's actually discussing at least the first four seasons yeah. um, which is <laughs> screw- and uh, you know it got better the seasons two through three I think three and four were the best seasons but I guess you know season five if there was more critical engagement for Black Mirror with like genuine arguments around it maybe there is possibility for redemption because I feel like in times like these uh if there is bad TV, bad movies, bad content in general, it is the role of people who engage with pop culture to not just call it out, but also critically engage with that content in a much more sincere way so we can find a way forward where there can be more, just, you know, better things in the future. Look, if there's more Black Mirror, I'll watch it. I don't know if there will be. I think Booker and the others might want to go on to other things after yeah, the season. Grey Mirror or whatever, you know. <laughs> Other Shades of Mirrors. So that is now Other Shades of Mirrors is now Fifty Shades <laughs> of Fifty Shades of Our Society is now streaming on <laughs> Netflix. Um, the last uh, I think button review we'll give is one of Star Trek Discovery season two. This is the sixth iteration of the Star Trek saga. It is one of the best actually. Season one was very promising. It stars Nicole Mato Green as Michael. Uh, she is playing the first main character who is not a starship captain. Um, in all the seasons series season two follows a um arc unlike which is unlike most episodic which as i referred to earlier is episodic about and in this case about this red angel sightings that they see around the galaxy where strange and fantastical things start to happen the season season two and particularly the season two finale is possibly the best television i've seen all year it's i couldn't believe it i have always adored Star Trek, next generation in the early season 
series. Um, probably yesterday's Enterprise remains my favorite episode, which is from season three of Next Generation, which is an alternate universe um, of this Federation in the 24th, uh, 24th century had um, they still be at war with the Klingons. This so wait, this comes, is entirely new Star Trek. This is new Star Trek. This is this this is set the first ep- season of Star Trek Discovery is set ten years before the events of TOS, or t- the original series. So okay. um, it's a prequel. It's a prequel of sorts. Okay. Uh, so Spock comes out in the series. He's played uh, not by uh, the fellow from um, what's his name from Levi. Uh, Zachary Levi. Zachary Levi, and he's he's very good. He's much better than Zachary Levi. He's not. He's no, no, no one will ever well, be so good as Zachary Levi. Zachary Levi is now Shazam, right? So I guess. Um, no. So not Zachary Levi. Zachary Quinto. Sorry, Zachary, Zachary Quinto. Quinto. Sorry. Zachary Quinto. Yeah. Yeah. Who is in much better in Margin Call? Yeah. Oh yes, that's yeah, right. Good movie. Oh wow. Um, yeah. The final two episodes of the season and and the ensuing. Apologies to all the Zacharies. It is. We we, we talked we talked earlier this year about um, Game of Thrones and the MCU and how their finales was so overblown and over the top, mistaking mistaking scale for epic and not and just throwing in characters here and there in an extremely token way. Star Trek, this which has kind of gone under the radar, came in in a two episode movie length arc for the final bit and showed you just how amazingly well it can be done. There is it wow. sell it sells the universe ending storyline better than any of these or any of the Doctor Who seasons have done lately. But more significantly, while you have the stakes at this level and they're believable, you have a lot of character stories playing out separately to that and with an incredible momentum. And more than that, it addresses issues that the existence of the series um, had, within the, at least at its initiation, within the continuity of the Star Trek timeline more broadly and corrects um, in a non-fan service way. It's very important to say what has been some of the major detractions of or things being left out of Star Trek to this point. Certainly, character Captain Pike, who's a much-loved figure, uh, was not given these dues early in the season, or by the um, in Star Trek Into Darkness, which wasn't very good. Um, he's a fully-fleshed character here. is very well done. And um, the early years of Spock, um, done much better than any other um, fiction surrounding Star Trek has um, proffered over the past, well, decades now. It's a superb couple of seasons. It's a superb final season. It's a superb kind of... Le- couple of episodes it deserves the portage it's getting go watch it what you're telling me is that i've been watching the wrong things basically yeah like honestly go watch star trek discovery before you watch any of this other stuff and then go watch tng and you should have begun with that just correct your netflix viewing choices and i could have avoided all the pain and misery of all the terrible tv viewing yeah we we should have started with the one thing we're really crazy about (laughs) go at least (laughs) i'm really crazy about Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is now streaming. Yeah, Discover Star Trek. And uh, Mm. there will be a Season 3. God bless them. Thank you, Netflix, for following through on Season 3. And God bless America. So this has been... Yeah, that's our Netflix discussion. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot... A lot, and there's a lot just in the back catalog of Netflix which you can discover. Yeah. Which I had no now, idea. This month, a lot of things are dropping, uh, especially Gilmore with Girls. Like, yeah, Gilmore Girls <laughs> is happening. Uh, Money Heist season uh, part three. Oh, I can't believe the, it's the Netflix effect. It's like murder mystery, Money Heist. I'm pretty it's sure that wh- show has an actually interesting, in its original language, it has an actually interesting title. But somehow they've given it. Yeah. The whole, I can't get over that. There's a show called Money Heist. Yeah, remember Tower Heist? But like money heist, yeah. what else is it going to be a heist of? Like when you say heist, I assume you're stealing money. Yeah. 
That's true. Um, what was it? What was the Station Statham film where they stole the photographs, the job, the bank job? Italian job. No, the, the, the bank no, job. There was a film the called bank The Bank Job, like twenty eleven, and that has a generic title. But it was it, it, Imagine it, if it, it was told enough about it. The job, the yeah. just the job. Yeah. The town. The Forget town. it, Jake. <laughs> it's the town. The town. The town was a good movie, though. Uh, it's all right. Well, I thought it was. It was very okay. We did this episode very, very, very basically to yeah. avoid discussing <laughs> a Jason Statham movie. Yeah, right? Hobbs and Shaw. We, yeah. we haven't reviewed Hobbs and Shaw. I'm, I'm seeing it this that, week. That is that is tomorrow. That is our way of uh, rebelling against the system. Is to not God, it just looks so it. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, not, not seeing Hobbs and Shaw, Chris. No, I'm not. But We're just furious because they're the fast ones. But they've got they've got the trailer for um, they've got the trailer for Tenet beforehand. Probably not in Australia, but then yeah, the new Christopher Nolan movie. Which isn't it, it's just isn't it just a pick of Don, Don David Washington? Doesn't actually tell us anything about the movie. Um, oh. Well, neither did the teaser for Inception. It's just another classic Christopher Nolan. You know, bl- blurry music plays while people look intense. Why don't they just wait for the movie? Like, oh, 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 Christopher Nolan right. just likes getting people on board early. Yeah, isn't yeah. it like Paul Pattinson's year, though? in this too? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it this next year? Uh, Mid twenty twenty, yeah. Wow. So he does three years between movies now. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's coming out of the cl- the Nolan release date. Like Inception, Dunkirk, Dark Knight all came out on July. Interstellar oh, was later. Uh, like July, like, uh, like end of mid July. Yeah. Like July 18, July 20, kind of. Summary. Inception yeah. Stella, strangely. Still, still a what? Interstellar, which was like. Oh, Interstellar. Late year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interstellar came out at the end of the year. But that this looks very great. much like. Uh, this looks very much like Inception. Oh, God. Tenet, yeah. It's called Tenet. Like Inception. Oh, that's such a Christopher Nolan <laughs> title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep thinking of that. Whenever I think of Inception, I think of that great scene where he's running between in the alleyway and it's getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, yeah that was cool. It's beautifully shot. Still a yeah. great movie. And endlessly, endlessly copied. But weirdly, that scene was set in the real world, right? Not a dream. Yes. Oh, well, well Chris. Well, <laughs> no. But that, no. But that <laughs> the whole film was clearly... The whole, whole film was clear. He was clearly a dream. The, 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 the top would not have stopped spinning. Oh, oh Clearly, we won't get into. Um, oh God, are we? <laughs> well, is this, I don't want to get into this. Like but ten years ago. But I know you can't call to authority. But most everyone involved in the film, if you ask them about it, says they don't think it's actually in a dream. Um, it's, I, I honestly thought that was more of just like a clever stinger, but that the point was that he's walking away from, like that he isn't the whole way through the movie. He's having these panic attacks where he's like in front of the. He's in front of the mirror and he's splashing the water in his face and he's like, I have to check if my top's still spinning. And the point at the end is that he walks away from it to see his kids, that he's learned, like, I don't care anymore. But how do the kids not only look exactly the same as when he saw them years ago, but be in the exact same position he's always imagined them in? That's a good question. That always bothered me. Mm. I did like that movie, though. Such creative it's okay. This design. is this is a debate which I know. Like this is like bringing like back to like first year teenage, undergrad. Teenage, yeah. Like, <laughs> <this was> like <laughs> so many hormones, so many broken yeah, friendships yeah. because of like which side no, of you the don't th- understand. He'll be like, I did you don't know how to read movies. Yeah. You call yourself a critic. <laughs> there's a lot of anger. Over, there's still a lot of anger over the Inception debate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Why do you hate Christopher Nolan? <laughs> He's a popular we, film director. We, we, we Sorry, no, we love Nolan. Yeah, he's okay. He's great. Like I, I wasn't a big fan of The Dark Knight Rises, but he made The Dark Knight. He made Memento. He's um, great he, in the sense that he's... Actually, the, the Prestige is overrated. Everyone harangues about The Prestige, but the yeah, illusion is... Yeah, I say that all Nolan films are overrated. Not Memento, not... 
Dark Knight. Yeah, there them. we go. There we and, go. Yeah, and like, yeah, Dark Knight was incredible. except for Dark Knight Rises, but like they're they're all basically overrated. I I'm, I I like his movies. Inception's my favorite, but like every single one of them's been overvalued. Dunkirk I was I think appreciated on the appropriate level. Like it was a oh, awesome. Man, I no. actually didn't like Dunkirk. Uh, that was like what? that was like my maybe my least enjoyed. Dunkirk was film. horrible. Gosh. What? Yeah. What? Didn't, Dunkirk? Didn't we? Is this on Netflix? Can we review this now? <laughs> didn't we review this on the radio? I'm pretty yeah, we sure did. we had this argument on the radio. two years ago. We, we did. Yeah. Go, yeah. go look up our episode of Dunkirk. Uh, yeah. it's, like, it's like episode we eight. Saw it, we saw yeah. it in like seventy mm. I remember the Ritz. Yeah. I saw it there too. Yeah. 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 yeah Tom yeah. Hardy's upper face acting. And very it good. Did not. Did not impress me at all. I was like, seventy mm did not need that. It could have just cut twenty mm and still be it equally shit. Twenty mm. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, well fifty millimeter. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. So because making it in the real is what cinema does, you know. Don't digitize movies. Film. Oh. Film. Film is great. Cinema. Film is yeah, film. great. So, uh, on the matter of film, that concludes our Netflix discussion. Goodbye. And we will be back next week talking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Another Hollywood movie about Hollywood. And Midsummer. And Midsummer. Midsummer. Yes. Murders. Um, is it curious that Tarantino might just make his last film could be the Star Trek film? If, yeah, it won't be. It and won't be. I, I, interpret that as you will. I think either he, w- he, he I think he, he'll be as able to retire from filmmaking as Steven Soderbergh was. Oh, Look, not very. We, he's a male director who's loved by millions and millions of fans. He his ego cannot handle not making movies. Okay. No, I think look, I think it's more that he just loves it. I think that he would struggle. I think it, it's so arbitrary that I will after ten I must end so that I have exactly ten films. It's so it's such a nonsensical reason for. Well, if he made ten great ones, like I'd be okay if Wong Kar Wai stopped look, making it's, movies. It's, it's, great ones. it's such know, a exactly. it, it's such a weird arbitrary way to cut it off. Like I I need to have the symbolism of of you know ten films, the number of completion or whatever. Um, but uh, the ten commandments no, of yeah, Quentin I th- Tarantino. I think that that it, it sounds like an ego kind of thing. To you know, I must stop at ten, and that it's not going to hold up. That Definitely, he'll, he'll just be called back in. Because yeah. it's what he loves doing. And can you guys imagine what, what Quentin is, Tarantino? Fifty? Yeah. Can you guys imagine Quentin Tarantino doing something that isn't filmmaking? Really? I can go back to being a video clerk. Like <laughs> in the video store. He, he probably would do shifts of that just for kicks. He'll he'll look. He'll probably take uh, turns. You know, doing TV or something as a as a way around it, like Steven Soderbergh did, and then he'll find himself pulled back into like, it. I found or Miyazaki for that fame. matter, another guy who can not imagine doing anything but making. Yeah. He, he has, the, has the Studio Ghibli marathons ended on SBS? I'm not sure, but uh, he um he he announced his retirement for the first time after Princess Mononoke, and after The Wind Rises, he did a no, it's really for real. I'm retiring so much so <laughs> that he held a press conference in Japan and then closed his studio, and he's still come back again for one more film. But, so but the thing is, like. P- these kinds of workaholics who are just that immersed in the medium yeah, imagine after quit re- it, I think. after retiring he made The Wind Rises arguably the best I, th- I think film. it's his best film you know it's, a, so it's not a very popular that. opinion but I'm yeah. glad we no, share no, it I, I don't think it's yeah. it's definitely yeah I would agree so yeah. like you know if you can come back from retirement and make that kind of movie you're allowed to come back from retirement any number of times yeah please do and so Steven Soderbergh like Lucky Logan so also Unsane uh, I saw it I wish I had Unsane is a fun B movie yeah Logan yeah. Lucky's great. Yeah. 
yeah, he, he's, he's, I haven't watched High Flying Bird yet. You know what? We should have done that today. We should have. <laughs> it's a Netflix movie from Steven Soderbergh. Oh, you're right. Yes. We all just com- right. completely passed us by. Right. Well, we, we, could, we could always do it in another Netflix special. If there True. Uh, is a Netflix film or another film you want us to it's review, gonna, yeah. Bird let us Box. know. Look, there's going to be some big ones. Oh, we never talked about Bird Box. <laughs> going to be it's okay. There's, Bird Box is okay. It's a TV movie with Sandra Bullock, right? That's what I've been told. There are good destructions. She's blindsided. It's a good premise, premise and there are good destruction scenes. I was... In Rom- I was just about in Romania when this film was released, and notably, Romania was the epicenter of the apocalypse. So I was like, well, all right then. <laughs> I think we're definitely going to have to do a Netflix special at the end of the year with The Irishman, Uncut Gems, and Marriage Story. Like, three huge releases. Yeah, and if, you, and if the, uh, before then, there are other Netflix stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll be in cover then, too, or before. Yeah. The, the, there's The Two Popes as well with, um, I've forgotten the other actor, but uh, Jonathan Price, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Playing, uh, playing the current pope. I think. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm. Well, that I, I may have gotten that completely wrong. But that's Anthony Hopkins be is, is Benedict. Yeah. Oh wow. That's oh, he's, that's good casting. Yeah. That's gonna be it's good casting. It's gonna be popular. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I just try to work Vatican or Pontiff or like something into into. Uh, it's a, but I, I I can't think of my Vatican puns. I I, I exhausted all my Catholic material talking about Dairy Girls. So uh, this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans of Rutley Rue. Um, shout out to the Catholic community here and who tuned into this show. And um, enjoy Netflix. Enjoy Netflix. Enjoy and have a, have a good or night. Or Amazon Prime. We're not discriminating. Or Stan. Stan. Um, movie. Movie. Movies. Movies are a different one. You yeah. kinda, but yeah, yeah. You know. Movies at the movies. Stan's actually really good. Just I'm close up repping for Stan because if you're wondering yeah. where are all the movies on Netflix, we're standing Stan. 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 They just yeah. have a way bigger. Until Disney's channel launches and yeah. then they're all going but, back that way. But yes, Stan has uh, focused way more on movies because I think the focus on Netflix is on their original programming. Does Stan have a good backpack catalog? Anyway, yep. bye-bye. Enjoy Netflix. Bye-bye.